ready to take a ride. Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. If you listen, you can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening, you're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. Uh, that the government lied to us about 
uh, who murdered Rabin and and why. And my conclusion, uh, as a fact, I mean, it's really not a conclusion based on uh, anything but the full story, uh, was that uh, Yitzhak Rabin was murdered um, under the order of today's Israeli president, Shimon Peres. Uh, he planned the murder. The actual killer was his bodyguard for that night, Yoram Rubin, and it was done in coordination with the head of the Secret Services, Carmi Gilon. This was a, a true blue conspiracy uh, from within his own party. It was a coup d'etat. And, well, that book uh, made number one in Israel. It sold in Israel, 38,000, that's like uh, several million in the States. Yes. And it was uh, translated into seven languages. That's the one that uh, broke my writing wide open, was uh, Who Murdered Yitzhak Rabin? Now, as for Israelis backing the rest of they don't know the rest of the stuff. Um, there's been a fairly fairly tight uh, lid on, on my information uh, getting out in Israel. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it is accurate. Uh, the Rabin assassination I did fairly accurately. Uh, by the time um, my, my investigation was done, I had 2,500 uh, one-secret documents and a, a vast majority of them came from the detective uh, hired by the uh, attorney defending the Patsy Yigal Amir. So I had I had everything uh, that was available uh, surrounding the Rabin assassination, and I proved beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, and this again is a very long discourse. I've given this lecture hundreds of times. But in short, uh, the government told us Rabin was shot twice in the back uh, from half a yard's distance. In fact, he was shot three times, once from the front, and the range was zero, uh, barrel on the skin. Th these are not wild guesses. Uh, I had the medical and police and forensic uh, reports. There, were, there was no guesswork in this. Uh, it was just gathering the stuff and uh, writing it well enough, uh, well, not writing too high. I kept it at, at uh, the, the average layperson's uh, reading uh, level, and it worked. Uh, the evidence got through. It was convincing. And uh, today's president of Israel not only murdered Rabin, I mean, he's a serial murderer, uh, Perez also knocked off uh, Ariel Sharon. Uh, same gang, by the way. The same uh, bodyguard, Yoram Rubin, was, was in on the murder of Sharon. There's a killer squad uh, at the top of the Israeli political system, and they murder like crazy. Wow. Um, and, of course, it doesn't stop there. Uh, they, took, they put uh, Ariel Sharon... In the hospital, he's a vegetable. And I want to come back and go into that in detail. 
But uh, you want to do you want to do Sharon in detail how they got to him? Absolutely. But before we go there, uh, I want to uh, step back a little bit and uh, go back in time and uh, give us some more about your background. Uh, I know everybody in Israel has to serve in the IDF. You served not only the uh, the normal tour time, but you were in there a long time, weren't you? No, I was there normal. I did uh, 18 months regular and 12 years uh, uh, reserve. Okay. How did you get into uh, writing? What was the uh, what was the, the time period that you you, know, you got a call always, to write? I've always written. Uh, that's what I've done my whole life. Look, the Rabin assassination opened the doors because it was a plain. It was such an obvious uh, criminal conspiracy, and Israelis are not terribly knowledgeable. Uh, they certainly don't realize uh, what a god-awful government they've got. They think they're in a democracy, and they're very, very wrong about that. Uh, so it was something new to them when, when such a blatant um, well, a conspiracy, it was... More than two people, and they got a patsy. It was a, a plain, ordinary, fake assassination, uh, as done elsewhere in the world, but it was such a badly done crime. And I just exposed it, and honest to goodness, like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, but for the Israelis, this was very, very new. And I was invited to give speeches. I gave at least 300 speeches. Um, in Israel during oh, a seven, eight year period, and it convinced, it, well, the polls showed it, it convinced most of the religious population that the government was lying through their teeth to them. Absolutely. Uh, how many books have you written in your career, Barry? Oh, I, I don't know. Ultimately, 17, 18, that's irrelevant. Uh, let's let's stick with the topic and uh, and not be. Uh, if you wanna if you wanna look me up, go to my website. Uh, it's at barrychamish.com, and Chamish is C H A M I S H, and that'll take care of uh, my writing career. Okay, folks, uh, we're gonna put that in the show notes too. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. We've got Barry Chamish, and um, Okay, I will uh, dispense with the formalities. Let's just dig into the meat of it, Barry. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, there's um, something uh, going on this week, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and I gave a, a long radio interview about the Thursday summit in Washington that I'm not going to do to you. Your readers do not need every detail of of. Well, supposedly, it's a meeting between the Israelis and the PLO, uh, chaired by President Obama. That's how they're selling it. The, the first face-to-face -face meeting in, in two years between Israel and the phony Palestinian government, yes. uh, led by, pardon me? I said yes, absolutely, go ahead. Led by the, uh, non-elected uh, President Mahmoud Abbas and so forth, but that's not what's going on at all. And to follow who is behind the meeting and what it's there for, um, I'm going to 
I'm going to introduce you to something that you don't know about. And I say that seriously because really nobody knows uh, that there is such a thing um, as a Mediterranean Union. No one's heard of the Mediterranean Union, but they are very busy, uh, and they're arranging um, a conference in November where they're going to announce peace throughout the Middle East. The Mediterranean Union is five European countries, um, all of them Catholic, of course, Italy, France, Spain, Portugal, and Malta, and five um, Arab countries, all from North Africa. And this five plus five union is going to join, ultimately, it's going, whether they know it or not, it's going to join the Vatican in creating a, a new Roman Empire. Uh, and they're not kidding around. Uh, the Vatican looks to their past, and they're finagling all the time with the Middle East right now. Israel is a, a, a thorn in their side because, now again, it's a bit tricky to follow if you haven't read my books, but for the Vatican, Jerusalem is their capital. It always was their capital. They ran crusades, and they put in their own king, and this was a thousand years ago, until, of course, the Muslims kicked them out. They want the holy sites of Jerusalem in their hands. This is an objective of the Vatican, and for all the people who say that they're a quaint little uh, principality with no army, they've got an, they've got plenty of armies. They've got the Italian army, and they've got the German army, and they've got the French army and the Spanish army. They've got troops and they've got wealth, and they've got a union now. It's called the Mediterranean Union. Wow! Now I'd heard of the uh, the European Union. Union. No uh, connection. But that's a new. A new uh, phrase for me now. I had heard rumors that uh, there were already some backdoor meetings involving the Pope, and they have been doing negotiations to uh, to relocate uh, to Jerusalem. Um, if there have been, you you're going to inform me because I've never heard of such a thing. But what you're uh, saying is their ultimate goal is uh, the Pope wants control of the Holy City, does he not? The well, yes, yes. Uh, it's a policy. It's not just this pope. Um, it, it's it's Vatican policy that Jerusalem um, is their capital and birthplace of their Lord, and and so on and so forth. Now and they take that very seriously. Do they have their <laughs> eyes on securing also the Temple Mount? Is that really their main? Well, goal? that's Jerusalem. I and mean, what else? Uh, yes. Naturally, they want the Jews off the. Uh, uh, they want them away from the holy sites. They don't want uh, the Temple Mount in Jewish hands. They want it in their hands. And a little later I may talk about this, uh, but we're going to get lost about what's going on in Washington um, if I discuss this. And there's plenty to discuss, but more to the point, uh, right now the Mediterranean Union has got a big, big conference plan for November where they say they will uh, present 
the world with Middle Eastern peace. Now that pe- that peace, of course, is uh, at, well not to Israel's advantage. That's putting it mildly. Uh, they're tearing apart Israel. Different forces are at work at this, but um, the co-chairman right now of the Mediterranean Union is Egypt and France. Uh, right now, bef- now everyone thinks that Washington is just Israelis and Palestinians uh, and their uh, vice president. In fact, coming to Washington uh, is the president of Egypt. Hosni Mubarak, and he's bringing a, a large delegation of, of aides with him. And uh, uh, King Abdullah of Jordan is coming to Washington. This is not just uh, direct talks between Israel and the Palestinian Authority. Uh, these are major heavy hitters uh, arriving in Washington. Now, what you should know is that uh, before arriving in Washington, I imagine Mubarak uh, will arrive today or tomorrow. Uh, he met uh, with President Sarkozy of France uh, to deal with the Middle East issue before he comes to uh, before he comes to Washington. Uh, Mubarak will get his um, instructions uh, from Sarkozy. Now, again, it's little things have come out. Uh, Sarkozy said Europe is planning to promote uh, a push for uh, peace. Um, uh, well, the ultimate summit will be the Barcelona uh, conference on November 20th. However, when Mubarak goes to Washington, we have proposed... Uh, they have proposed their version of uh, peace uh, to, well, ultimately this conference is being run big, big time so that uh, France uh, and Egypt will sign an, uh, uh, an accord in Barcelona in November as that the world will ultimately see a Middle East with barely an Israel left, if there is an Israel after this so-called peace. What you've got in Washington is not direct talks between Israel and, and the Palestinians. You've got a world conference there hinged on this Mediterranean Union. There is an awful, awful lot of the Vatican inside this negotiation on Thursday in Washington, a ton of it. So what you're telling me is they're, uh, they're actually going to uh, kind of backdoor this thing, because uh, I know nobody hears the term Mediterranean Union thrown around, and what they're going to do is they're going to push for dividing up Israel between the Palestinians and the Jewish people? Well, first of all, Israel um, is not doesn't belong to the Palestinian people. They were placed... Absolutely. Uh, right. They were given um, the right to return politically um, in a war accord called the Oslo Accord. And uh, that was in 1993. Uh, the PLO and all, and all these gangsters were uh, 
well, they were in Tunisia, the leadership, and there was absolutely no reason uh, to bring them back to Israel, and not only to bring them back to Israel as a so-called peace partner, uh, but to arm them with 50,000 machine guns and a million rounds of ammo. This came out of Israel's stocks. Not only did Israel bring back the PLO, uh, well, the Oslo... Well, let's, uh, let's clarify something here. And uh, I believe that the PLO are an illegitimate people. I don't believe that they have any history. And it's really, um, it's a creation of modern times. Uh, what do they say is the basis for their claim in saying that they have any land? Uh, it seems to me that what they need to do is they need to be absorbed back into Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Syria. Uh, well, that's not, that's not feasible anymore. Uh, if there was ever a chance of that being feasible, certainly not now. Uh, I mean, the, the world PLO was founded in 19... But, I mean, they have no history and no claim that uh, they can lay to that land. Am I correct? Well, they've... No, they've got claims, and they certainly have a history. You can't just wipe it, wipe everything off. But the PLO was founded in 1964 uh, as a terror organization, nothing but, uh, and it was revived by Israel. There would be no PLO worth a damn if Israel didn't uh, organize, I mean literally, organize their return uh, in the Oslo Accord, this was a, uh, Israel voluntarily committing suicide. Now, Absolutely. again... But very uh, uh, pr prior to the 60s, I mean, uh, they don't have any uh, pre-existing claims in the land, not like Israel does. That, that has been in Israel's land since he gave it to Abraham, and uh, at least you can trace it back to David over 4,000 years ago. So it's well, preposterous. That is history, but yeah. that's also... That's also pretty ancient history. Um, in recent times, uh, there's no question that there were Arabs in Israel that dated from at least the 7th century when, when the uh, Muslims attacked and took Jerusalem. Uh, but there's also a lot of history. Uh, the Turks were fighting the Zionists by bringing uh, Arabs from all over their empire a lot from Bosnia Herzegovina. Uh, they brought them into Israel, uh, which, you know, by the 1880s and 90s when Zionism was started, uh, there really was not much uh, of any population there. And this is widely attested. All these travel writers uh, from the 19th century Famous people, too, like Twain and Balzac. They all went and saw an empty land, and then the Turks started bringing in Arabs to counter, uh, counteract the Zionism, and you started getting, well, you started getting a mess in the place. But as for an ancient ties to the land, uh, well, again, they've got a recent tie to the land. Yeah, but they... Uh, uh, they have no right to the land, Barry, because uh, Yahweh gave the land to Abraham and his descendants, and America has no right to get over there and order Israel to disengage from Gaza like they did, to keep withdrawing, and we have no right to be having a meeting on Thursday to get over there and 
poke our nose in Israel's plans. The Palestinians need to go back to their Arab brothers' countries and leave. Bottom line. But well, I know again, that, uh, you have to deal with what's... Reality. Yeah, you have to uh, understand, uh, you know, I mean, the Jews weren't there for 2,000 years. I mean, that's quite a gap in history. Uh, it's not all black and white here. Uh, but the fact remains that uh, stirring, stirring combative feelings uh, is going on, uh, and it's coming from the outside, and stirring hatred is, is uh, the name of the game, and they've done a marvelous job. I mean, they have got uh, the hatred against Israel that, uh, within the Muslim community. It's way up there. It's now like levels of Nazi hatred. I mean, look, and you have to understand something else. Yeah. Israel will most likely lose the next war. The next war will be a rocket war. Uh, the number of rockets surrounding, and these are not all just pea shooters, uh, like Hamas uh, shoots the southern Israel. Yes. Uh, many of these are pre precision guidance, long-range missiles, with the ability in their heads to have chemical and biological weapons, uh, Israel has no defense whatsoever against missiles. The only defense they have is uh, an offense to knock out, uh, let's say, Hezbollah and Syria, even Iran. Uh, they've got a few uh, very serious missiles, and they'll be aiming a... Uh, you know, it's not entirely unlikely they'll be aiming nuclear bombs uh, in the next year or two at Israel. Um, I don't see Israel surviving for more than two or three more years, and then the whole place will be Palestine. According to the information I've got, Barry, uh, Iran has had the nuclear option for well over a decade, and we're still trying to uh, say that, well, maybe another year they'll have it. I mean, they've had it. Clearly, they want to ramp up and have more, but um, you know, I, I'm hearing that they've got the Shabab three missile. You know, Israel well, they've had that. The Shabab is Iraqi; it's not Iranian. Okay. Uh, look, Iran it just went nuclear last week. Uh, as far as anyone knows, that's uh, the first week that a reactor went online, and they say it in about a year. It, They'll, they'll have and they'll have enough for a bomb or two. Um, I don't know, ten years. I mean, that's that's just not not true. They were at war with Iraq and they didn't use atomic weapons. Look, we let let's get to uh, things I do know and and uh, let's keep it with it within uh, the facts that I did discover. Now, look. About the Oslo Accord. Now, this changed Israel and uh, set the country up for, well, it couldn't be worse, really. If there was good news, I would let you know, uh, but it, it's really not very good. Now, I met one of the two Israeli authors of the Oslo Accord. His name was Ron Pundak. Now, this was in December of 1993. Oslo had been signed the month before. And supposedly Israel was now at peace with its neighbors. 
And there were many of us who knew that this was a formula for guaranteed war. Um, most Israelis didn't fall for it. Uh, but the police came out uh, on horses with clubs, and they just clubbed the Israeli people into submission. As many as a quarter of a million in the streets of Jerusalem were attacked with the cops and with their clubs swinging, Israelis w were given Oslo down their throats. Now, in December, um, I was at a Hanukkah party with my friend Lenny Wolf. He was my wife's friend, and it turned out that uh, we enjoyed each other's company, and I got invited to a little party. Now, he is... He lives in Jerusalem, and he is uh, a semi-committed leftist. His, le his wife is a real committed leftist, uh, and is known in that community. And so he knew um, Ron Pudak, the guy who wrote, uh, well, half wrote the Oslo Accord. And he said to me, uh, would you like to meet uh, Ron Pudak and interview him? And I had a little newsletter uh, called Inside Israel. I had a good partner, Joel Bainerman. Uh, he wrote uh, a pretty well-known book exposing the Bush family uh, called Crimes of a President. So we were getting some notice, and I said to him, sure, I'd like to meet Ron Pundak. Uh, Lenny picked up the phone. We were meeting him within two days in Tel Aviv. Now, you have to understand what inside information is. When you're dealing with a guy who wrote the Oslo Accords that were signed a month before, you're, well, you don't get more inside than that. But this interview was, first of all, he thought, I was friends with Lenny, so I must be a leftist, and I must be sympathetic to him. He was bragging and bragging, and Joel knew a lot of what he was bragging about. I didn't, and he explained it, and over time I understood. But just to give you uh, a few of the things he gave away. Now, the first thing he says is, you know, Warren... Uh, was very skeptical at first, uh, but came on board in March. Uh, that's March of 93. Now, Warren Christopher um, was the Secretary of State for uh, Bill Clinton. Both are members of a think tank, and not a very big one. It's called the Council on Foreign Relations. It's got 4,200 members. And they determine American policy, certainly foreign policy, all comes out of this Council on Foreign Relations. It's a dastardly organization. Christopher and Clinton were both executives of the CFR. Now, I, I turned to Pundak and I said, well, you, you mean to tell me that Warren Christopher knew about the Oslo negotiations? And he says, from the first day we got to Oslo in January, uh, he was phoning us every evening. Now, just to remind you, and it may come back and it may not, in August of 93, the Oslo negotiations uh, were announced worldwide, and Clinton 
was shocked, he claimed. He wasn't sure if they were legitimate. And he wasn't even sure if he should accept the Oslo negotiations, which, of course, he did within a, a half a second. But it was all a big lie. The Clinton administration and its Secretary of State were guiding the Oslo negotiations from day one. And I got that from Ron Pundak who was on the phone to Warren Christopher from January of 93 until they wrote the things up. That came from uh, Ron Pundak, the big lie that America didn't know and that the Israelis and Palestinians had negotiated all by themselves and with no help from anyone, all a big lie. It was the Council on Foreign Relations who guided the Oslo negotiations from day one. And I know how that was done, but I'll get lost. We, we're going to stay. Are they, um, are they working in unison with the other groups like the uh, Trilateral Commission? Well, they founded the Trilateral Commission. Uh, the Trilateral Commission founded it in 1976, five, I think. Uh, to bring in the other countries. CFR is only American. And they brought in Japan, and they just did a wider CFR, a more international CFR, and a much smaller organization is the Trilateral Commission. It's all about, one of the uh, same. A lot of these groups, I mean, we've got the Bohemian Grove. Uh, we mentioned the CFR, the Trilateral Commission. People will mention... Names like the Bilderbergers or the Rothschilds. Uh, the the Bilderbergers are uh, primarily European. The Rothschilds, what Rothschild? I mean, really, it's a big family. You just don't say the Rothschilds like they're a controlling family. You're They've got banking interests. Around, but you've been around a long time. Uh, who's at the top of this command and control structure? What is the most powerful uh, shadow government operation of them all, in your opinion? The CFR. The CFR, um, that they're okay. running. They're running the American policy. The CFR run it from the from America. The Vatican run it from Europe. Those now, are the one-two punches. When uh, when Obama or Abomination, as I like to call him, uh, was running for office, okay, and and Palin and so forth, I understand he uh, dropped by the CFR. Uh, is he not a member himself? No, no, he's not. But. Uh, again, as Secretary of State, well, her husband is certainly a member. And, you know, Gates is a member. His cabinet uh, filled with uh, Geisner's, uh, Geithner's a member. He's got a cabinet filled with the CFR. Uh, don't worry about that, but let's go on to Ron Pundak. All right. Now, I'm sitting there, and again, we're in a Tel Aviv coffee house, and he's bragging. And he's revealing stuff that he should never, ever have revealed. Now, I won't go through all of it, but I'm going to go through uh, one point that you should know. I guess this is about after an hour and a half, and uh, I was, uh, well, I was preparing to end the, uh, uh, the interview, and he wants to end with a bang. He says, my boss, his boss, of course, was... Uh, uh, Yossi Balin, but he also worked with Shimon Peres, but he was referring 
uh, to Balin, who organized uh, uh, the Oslo talks. At least that's what Israelis think. He says, my boss doesn't believe in borders. And that caught me off guard. I didn't know wow. what that meant. Joel knew what that meant, and he told me in the car, and I got wiser as time went on. And I said, what do you mean? He said, borders cause wars. If we didn't have borders, there wouldn't be wars. So I said to him, if we didn't have borders, there wouldn't be Israel. And he says, no, there would be something much better in place. And I'm telling you, this is what the guy told us. Wow. It, it seems so wacky, but he told us this. And he says to us, imagine if Israel were in the center of a brand new union of the Middle East that we provided the hotels and the gas stations for the trucks coming from Libya on their way to Iran and that we melded into a harmonious new union in the Middle East. And I just listened to this without... I, I just couldn't comprehend this. I'd never heard of such a thing. And I'm saying to him, you mean that the ultimate goal of Oslo is Israel without borders? And he said, yes. He says, that is what we're aiming at. We're going to knock down the borders, and we're going to bring the Middle East into one union. There'll never be a war again. And... I, I left shocked. I mean, I didn't even know if this guy was serious. Um, Joel assured me in the on the car ride home. Joel assured me he was very serious. That that this is what they intend to do. And what it comes down to uh, is well, it's global government. It's it's globalism uh, by. Uh, unionizing large tracts of the world and eventually joining those unions together and, and you get a global government. And I said, this Oslo has nothing to do with peace. It has to do with globalism. And and Joe said, yeah, yeah, that's... He, he educated me. Uh, he had known about this uh, order that they were planning for us, and I didn't then. But that woke me up. Now, that comes from straight inside the Oslo Accord by one of the two Israelis who wrote the thing. And, again, you want to talk inside information, that's where I go. Um, I, I, I don't speculate, and if I do speculate, I'll tell you about it. Okay, so what you're saying here, Barry, is... Just as uh, Europe had basically its borders erased with the formation of the EU, uh, they want the same for the Middle East, and this will be what is known as the new Mediterranean Union? No, Mediterranean Union is separate. Okay. Well, it's all connected. Uh, but no, the Middle Eastern block of nations was not the Mediterranean Union. Mediterranean Union is only two years old. And its headquarters is Barcelona, Spain. Okay. And its leader is really a much, much more influential character than you can imagine. This King Juan Carlos. Uh, King Juan uh, Carlos, yes. I mean, uh, 
where do these guys get off, Barry, Spain and France, thinking they have anything to add to the table? I mean, they were empires 400 years ago, but uh, why are they even at the bargaining table right now? They think it's theirs. Um, I can't think of one product I've ever bought from France. Uh, oh, that's, again, that's, oh, that's not the issue. That's not the issue at all. They think the, uh, the, the birthplace of their Lord was Jerusalem, and it's theirs, and it belongs to them. And King Juan Carlos has a, a title from the Vatican, which, again, normal people uh, think it's quaint and cute, uh, and don't take it seriously, but Juan Carlos is known as the protector of the holy places of Jerusalem. That's his actual Vatican title. His duty is to get Jerusalem back. And the Mediterranean Union is the latest ruse foisted on the world. It's only been two years uh, of spreading well, ultimately, it's the that it it's the five European and the five uh, Arab nations are really creating the early Roman uh, Roman Empire. To the Vatican, this makes sense. To us, it doesn't. But a Mediterranean Union exists. The Mediterranean bloc of nations uh, is a distant cousin that. Wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have not done what they were supposed to do, and that is quell these nations into joining their brothers in the in the in the Middle Eastern Union. A lot of things didn't go right uh, with these plans, and again, these are cuckoo nuts. <laughs> they're, they're playing chess with the world and sending people to war, and they these people are are nuts. <laughs> right? Do they have uh, Do they have a name already picked out for uh, this new uh, Middle Eastern area where Israel will just be merged and their borders will be destroyed? Yeah, the, the Middle Eastern Union. The, it's going to be the same as the North American Union or the European Union. It'll say Middle East with Union at the end. Yeah, we're hearing that uh, the real game plan for America is uh, to merge uh, United States with Canada and Mexico, and that's why they're not enforcing uh, immigration. They never will. And uh, we'll be one of the uh, ten biosphere regions. Uh, well, maybe under North okay, Carolina. I mean, that's uh, there's been enough talk about that. Why you would want Canada in such a godforsaken place. And why do you even want them? I have no idea. Uh, Mexico, I can understand more than Canada. But if you want to do that, you know, that again is the North American Union. Uh, That's not what I want. But uh, clearly they have the agenda to erase the borders, not only in Israel, but over here. And it's all part of this uh, one world government organization. Let me ask you a question. Going back to uh, the Mediterranean Union that formed two years ago, um, do they take their orders directly from the Vatican? Yes. Okay, now, uh, are they separate from the CFR in terms of their uh, control structure, or is the Vatican giving yes. instructions to the CFR also? There are lots and lots of meetings. I'll give one example. Uh, Israel fought a war in 2006, which had lost to Hezbollah, and this is just the beginning of the next war where the whole country is going to lose. 
Uh, and it's, it's, was that to I, Israel's Vietnam? I mean, they, they should have went in there and war, uh, won it, but they were told not to, weren't they? No. No, nothing like that. They lost it. I mean, why uh, did they All by themselves, they lost the war. I mean, come on. Is, Israel should have beaten Lebanon. Why did they get in there and have to uh, walk out of there with their tail under the legs? They didn't go in there. There was no infantry attack until the last day of the war. Uh, they fought an air war. Israel got bombarded with uh, 4,000 missiles in 34 days. The north of the country was abandoned. Uh, it was lost to Hezbollah, and uh, Israel lost the war. Now, what happened is uh, to stop the war, everyone agreed to a peace conference in Rome. And in flew Hillary Clinton to negotiate for America. And in the end, Hezbollah and Israel were separated by the UNISO forces. That's the United Nations forces in Lebanon, which are 85% from southern Europe. 85% are from Germany, Italy, Spain. Spain, in fact, is the commander of the UNISO forces. It was all done in Rome and was all agreed to. And when the next war breaks out, they will not separate forces. <laughs> They'll go home and let the war carry on. In Very, short, uh, I went to Israel uh, twice. I had the opportunity to go in 2006. I was in Jerusalem and then Tel Aviv. In 2007, I went to Haifa and Galilee. And I'll be honest with you, uh, as an American going over there for the first time, it was so oppressive in terms of from the standpoint of the Jewish people having all these other nations in there, um, you know, mixed in. And, you know, you couldn't even get up onto the Temple Mount if you were uh, Jewish for a long time. I don't know if it's changed at all. You know, that's under control by what Jordan and, uh, you know, it was sad just to see it overrun. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'll tell you, it'll make you want to cry over there. because. Well, you know, you won't have to worry much longer. There won't be an Israel much longer, so I, I wouldn't. Uh, well, I wouldn't uh, waste too many tears on this. What remember, got, there's uh, there's the God option, and I believe <laughs> if you, if you believe in the Word of God, He has a plan. Now it's going to get pretty bad. I agree with you that they'll probably take some hits, but there is hope. If there wasn't hope, then uh, you know it, we would all be toast. Um, look, if I uh, trusted. Uh, the Israeli uh, governing authority and who they are, um, I might be able to uh, discuss what this is, but it's all rigged. And uh, the, like God option, the Muslims have their God, too, and they view the God option. That's why the PLO will never, ever sign anything with Israel, is they are convinced that God is on their side, and they're going to win. So I, I'm... Look... Well, they don't want peace. It, it, it's clear. They they just want to kill all Jews, and they want to take over the land and run you into the ocean. Uh, there is never going to be any peace because the Israeli government has given them every advantage. They can come and work. They've got health care, and uh, yet they're a bunch of the, they, What are you talking The Palestinians? I'm talking have, the Palestinians. Have they supposedly have their own authority. They don't get health care from Israel. Listen, they don't get work from Israel. They have pristine, their own little good uh, well, principality there. Is Gaza was in pristine condition before it was handed over. Now if you go over there and look at it, it looks like a ghetto. Okay? Um, Israel has given them every uh, leeway possible 
except when they come over and decide to blow somebody up, and that's not good enough. The truth of it is they don't want peace. They want to drive everybody out and, and control all of Jerusalem. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a fairy tale to think that anybody can sit at a table and come up with an agreement that's going to make the P.O. happy. Uh, they hate well, Israel's guts and want it destroyed, plain and simple. So well, let, let's get to specifics. Um, that's where I'm at my best. Um, I, I'm not a good generalizer. Well, now, let's, I'm let's gonna... go back and uh, ask a couple specific questions. You mentioned about rigged government, and I would agree with you. Um, it would seem to me that uh, these guys only have so much time longevity before they're basically assassinated. We had uh... no, no. The let, let let's discuss this. Let's discuss this with something I know about, and I've written about. And I'm going to talk about uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and the CFR. Yes. And it, let's let's uh, hear a little research, um, and uh, we can talk about rigged government with a little background here. Okay. Now, Netanyahu uh, uh, was at MIT. Um, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, as if we didn't know. Now, he was noticed without going to the, the background by a uh, Boston uh, financier. Uh, he ran something called the Boston Group or something. Uh, Boston's, oh, forget it. it, was a big group. He gave Netanyahu a job. Uh, Netanyahu uh, was earning a hundred thousand dollars a year for the Boston, Boston Consulting. Um, now, Ira Magaziner, first of all, is known because he was Hillary Clinton's healthcare advisor in in the Clinton administration. He's he's way way up there in the uh, movers and shakers. He notices Netanyahu and gives him a hundred thousand dollar job. Uh, lucky, lucky Benjamin, but Netanyahu quits his job at Boston Consulting within a year to fly to Israel to work selling furniture at a place called Rim Furniture for $12,000 a year. Now, he said it was because he was missed his home and all that nonsense. Within a year of arriving in Jerusalem, Netanyahu, he's a, an unknown 27-year-old. Nobody knows him from a hole in the ground. Somehow he gets the money to organize an anti-terror conference. And who arrived at the unknown Netanyahu's terror conference in 1979 but the big guns of the CFR? There was CIA director... Uh, um, uh, George Bush, there was George, well, George Schultz, of course, and Richard Pearl, who ended up George Bush's arms, uh, czar. Uh, so what you're telling me is it sounds like, uh, uh, Netanyahu had some, uh, some of the same puppet masters as Obama. He came out of obscurity, and clearly someone was grooming him for, uh, position in government. Well, yes, <laughs> yes. All right. The story. The story goes on. Now Netanyahu has his conference, and then he goes back to selling ottomans and hassocks and sofas 
until 1982 when Moshe Arendt, he is the Israeli ambassador to the United States, uh, appoints Netanyahu to be his deputy. Now, look, the foreign ministry has all these professional uh, diplomats waiting for the second highest diplomatic posting in the world, the Washington Embassy, and Aaron's gives it to a furniture salesman. There was a really, really big hubbub in Israel over that. Now, later on, I found out, I have the CFR uh, annual report for 2001, Moshe Adams is on the Council on Foreign Relations. He's a foreign affairs advisor. All right, he's on their foreign affairs committee. He, he, it, let's put it this way. He has a secret life as well. But nonetheless, he was forced to explain why he chose the furniture salesman to be the deputy ambassador to Washington. Right. And Orange just said outright, he said that uh, those who attended his uh, anti-terror conference were very impressed with him and pressed Irons to appoint him the ambassador, which means that, well, Bibi Netanyahu, his whole political career is owed to George Schultz and George Bush and to Richard Pearl and to the CFR. And, in fact, it just got better from there on in. You know, everybody has said uh, that when Netanyahu was in uh, office the first time, he clearly screwed up, but uh, this time he was going to come back and be the savior of Israel, wasn't going to take any more crap from America. Nobody, he said, was that. Gonna... Nobody said that. Well, I mean, that's... Nobody said that. I'm just speaking from uh, the standpoint of uh, the Christian community here. We've all been rooting that, for They him. may have said that. Yeah, <laughs> saying, man, this will be the guy that goes in and stands up for Israel, but the truth of no it is... No Israeli uh, said that. No Israeli said that. He, that... Uh, he hasn't changed, has he? He's, uh, he'll cower down just like the rest of them and take his instructions from the CFR. He was a slightly better actor uh, than, than Barack, uh, his defense minister, who is uh, so obviously a murderous little uh, rat. And Netanyahu uh, speaks better and he sounds more sincere, but it doesn't matter. He's just a better actor. Now, let's go on with Netanyahu's career. I can't believe anyone would say what you just said. I've heard that from nobody. Well, you know, uh, Barry, we, we, we have hope. So, listen, I'm, I'm an American. I love Israel. I would die for Israel. Now, you may say that. I've never heard that before. There's a lot of us that believe in the Word of God. It says, Genesis 12, 3, if you bless my people, I'll bless you. If I, well, you that doesn't make Netanyahu anything uh, but, but the but, very dangerous infiltrator as nobody in Israel. You think people in Israel have forgotten yeah, that but he Netanyahu... Uses, uh, you know, he'll invoke and say, you know, he'll talk about, you know, history of Israel and, you know, say he's not going to uh, stand by and and uh, let anybody, uh, you know, take their God-given right. And, you know, if you took him on his face... Look, I've say, met well, Netanyahu. I know people who know him. I know his brother. Look, again, no more speculation. I know something about this. Uh, let me carry on, and, and we'll, we'll get into this about who Netanyahu is. Now, look, 
Netanyahu is now the ambassador in the United States. And uh, afterwards, I'll talk about Netanyahu's people uh, like Dory Gold and Michael Orr. And I know all these people. Uh, in fact, uh, for a time, they were both my buddies in Israel. I know who they are personally. Where did the name BB come from, by the way? Where do you get that nickname? It's short for Benjamin. It, it doesn't matter. Let, let's let's stick with the let's stick with uh, who Netanyahu is and who he's taking his orders from. Now Netanyahu is now the ambassador to Washington, and George Shultz in 1985 organizes another anti-terror um, uh, convention in Washington, which he claims that Netanyahu organized. The CFR are pushing his career from day one. Now, that led, by the way, in 1988 to Netanyahu being the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. He was now a known figure all through Israel, and he was pushed from day one and owes all his power to the CFR. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that Rabin, Yitzhak Rabin, told on Israeli TV a month before he was murdered. And uh, it, it, at the time, uh, I knew there was something weird about this story. Later on, I found that that there really was something weird about the story. Netan, uh, Rabin says that he has a, he heard a hilarious story from Henry Kissinger that day. Uh, Kissinger phoned him up and told him uh, that Netanyahu called him the day before and asked him to declare that American troops would not be placed on the Golan Heights as part of a de uh, peace deal with Syria. Now, first of all, I don't know who Kissinger is going to declare this to, but nonetheless, Kissinger uh, told him to quit bothering him, and, and Rabin laughed at what a boob this Netanyahu was, always bugging his good friend Henry Kissinger. Look, what that means is that the Israeli government, what Netanyahu was, what Rabin was giving away was that the Israeli left under Rabin and the Israeli right under Netanyahu. Labor and Likud were both, they both shared the same handler, and that was Henry Kissinger of the Council on Foreign Relations. Netanyahu, from, the, from his early, early career, was beholden to, uh, I mean, this guy, is true blue mass murdering slime ball with Henry Kissinger. Uh, he is the worst. He's still active, isn't he? Behind the scenes, of course he is. And he's what pushing? He's about ninety years old now. They don't get old. Everything's fine with him. They have medicines. Yeah, they someone told well. me he was about one hundred and ten years old, and I kind of laughed at it. But does anybody know how old this guy is for real? Yeah, he's about. He uh, was eighty-seven <laughs> a couple years. He's about ninety now. So you're telling me that the elite have access to special medicines to keep them living longer? Well, again, I'm speculating, but they all grow old very gracefully. Uh, but n neither here nor there, I want to stick on what I do know. Now, again, I'm going to tell another story, and it's a beaut, and this comes from Netanyahu's own mouth. In the 
2001, Netanyahu was in the middle of a really lucrative American-speaking tour. And in the middle of the tour, he goes to New York. He's supposed to be speaking there, but he meets with George Schultz and Henry Kissinger. And they tell him that it's time that Israel had elections, where, in fact, it was not time. They weren't due for another two years. But they tell Netanyahu that we want elections. And Netanyahu hops on the next plane to Israel, meets with Ehud Barak, and then flies directly back to New York to go speaking again. Within two days, Barak resigned and said there would be elections and he would be running the point of the matters to CFR. Not only appoints the leaders of the left and right in Israel, they determine when elections will be held. The Israeli people think that they own a democracy. They could not be well, more wrong. Here, Barry, you know, the Electoral College runs the scenes. Behind that, it's the New World Order. Let me ask you a question. If uh, CFR is in control, they're actually the ones that gave the uh, the order to um, take down Ariel Sharon, did they not? No. No, Ariel Sharon was uh, um, uh, Shimon Peres, and uh, uh, Shimon Peres murders for the heck of it, but he uses, uh, for his permission and for his intelligence gathering and for his planning, he uses French intelligence. Okay, so uh, that was really kind of a of the Vatican and an has internal been struggle then. Shimon Perez uh, had uh, Ariel Sharon assassinated by his bodyguard, is that right? Uh, you know what? Uh, with Rabin, it was uh, more clear-cut. They supposedly learned the lessons from Rabin and simply uh, with Sharon on December 18th, 2005, he has a stroke. Now, when does he have the stroke? Well, he's in the Knesset in a private meeting with Shimon Peres where they share a cup of tea together. And in the middle of the meeting, Sharon just didn't feel well. And within half an hour, he was in Hadassah Hospital with a stroke. Now, he had a pretty bad stroke. He couldn't even remember his name. And they said that was... They poisoned him, basically, and then they went in there and they they did a lobotomy on him, didn't he? No. No. So he has the stroke. There's no lobotomy. And then the doctors come in and they... They say, you don't need to be near a hospital. You don't have to be near Jerusalem. Go back to your farm in the middle of the Negev. Uh, you don't, even though he had a house 10 minutes from the hospital in Jerusalem, they gave him the wrong medicines. You name it. But on January 3rd, uh, oh, two and a half weeks after his stroke, uh, uh, Ehud Olmert shows up at uh, Ariel Sharon's farm with some papers. Sharon's supposed to go in the hospital the next day. Albert has him sign papers saying that he is the prime minister as long as Sharon is in the hospital. Uh, he leaves, and then Sharon has a cerebral hemorrhage. And then the murderer of Yitzhak Rabin, the bodyguard, Yoram Rubin, drives him to Jerusalem an hour and a half away. They don't even take him on a helicopter. He's there in 10 minutes. In short, the same hit team 
they're knocked off or being knocked off Sharon slightly more subtly, but was it was during this time that I started writing about the Sharon uh, murder. And that's when funny things started happening to me. Uh, they didn't want me doing uh, with Sharon what I did with Rabin. I come home one Friday. I pour myself a, a, a glass of wine. I've got a stroke. I, oh, I'm, wow. oh, what a period. First, the stroke that didn't kill me. Uh, that's miraculous. Then I'm in and out of court. I can barely speak. I've been in the hospital with a stroke. And all of a sudden, weird courts and weird court cases. And then a car crash. Um, that Look, the police wouldn't even tell my lawyer, not even my insurance company, who crashed into me. My lawyer, my lawyer just said, get out of here for a while. You're, uh, something is wrong here. This is abnormal what's going on with you. Uh, I was dead on, on the hospital table three times. I was refibrillated. I should have been dead. Believe me, it's miraculous I came out of that one. When I believe when, preserved you for a reason, Barry. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, maybe. Can't argue, don't know, but uh, where did I the survived. Mossad, uh, figure into all this. Who? The Mossad. The they don't figure in it at all. Why should the Mossad be involved in this? Well, let me and ask you a question. Just, I, I, get, I get a little bit angry here. Is there not anybody who is loyal to Israel and believes that they have a right to the, their God-given land and will stand up? Or, or, well, that's the Israeli people. Don't mix up their government with their people. I mean, uh, is there not anybody that we might on the inside that has any hope of turning this around? No, no. You don't just become prime minister. Look, without the money and the backing, and I mean big money, uh, that well, the CFR have backed uh, Ehud Barak. Uh, Sharon Netanyahu, Rabin, the Vatican have, and, and Southern Europe have backed Shimon Peres and Yossi Balin. Without these guys, you don't become Prime Minister of Israel. Why, you think, um, a little farmer in a log cabin is gonna rise and become Prime Minister of Israel? <laughs> you don't really, well, you don't really don't believe under, that. Don't do. underestimate the Israeli people. Uh, you know, I totally underestimate them. They're as dumb as hell don't know what's happening to them. Look, I can underestimate them. I'm one of them. Uh, let, let's not uh, fool around with this. The Israeli people are being led through the nose, and they are being led into a disaster, into a first-class disaster by their leadership, and you can fool them with anything. There's no problem. They're really dumb people. Well, Barry, what do we? Uh, what do you predict will be the next thing that we'll see from Netanyahu? Is he going to continue to give up more land, or what? It doesn't matter. He'll do what he's told to do. Of course, he'll give up more land. What's going to of uh, the Thursday meeting? What, what would be your prediction this week? The prediction is that in November, uh, in Barcelona, Spain, will be the big day uh, when look, nothing is going to come out of this meeting. The big one will be in November. And by that time, uh, Netanyahu is really, literally going to be fighting uh, the Israeli people because on the 26th um, of this month is supposedly the end of his 10-month building freeze in Judea and Samaria. 
And this was a big deal. I mean, what this has done uh, to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria in the last year, this building freeze. Uh, yes. Well, the raw figures are that construction starts and house sales in Judea and Samaria dropped by 70%, in Jerusalem by 30%. Uh, the price of an apartment in either place is through the roof. I mean, yes. this building freeze is supposed to end, and normal housing is about to be built on September 26th. You watch them get out of that one and continue the freeze, and nothing but nothing is going to make Netanyahu loyal to anyone but the CFR. Nothing. Now, what uh, what happens to all the people as they get uh, kicked out of their land, like in Gaza? Where, where are all these... Uh, they get abandoned. Going, they're going to mobile homes with no compensation. Uh, after five years, not a house has been built for them. Uh, they get abandoned and they got treated with vengeance and viciousness, and they lose their money and uh, they're bankrupt and broke, and uh, and that's what happens to them. Now, let's uh, go back to Benjamin Netanyahu a minute. Oh, look, I, I'm going to mention something. I mean, this is a subject that, uh, that I know a lot about. I wrote a book called Bye Bye Gaza, and I'm going to tell you how to go and get it now. If you want to read about what they did in the Gaza Strip, I was there every week. I was speaking there. I was selling there my books. Um, I followed Gaza from from inside the evacuation from the beginning. My book is called Bye Bye Gaza. You get it at lulu.com. That is, you go to www.lulu.com. You'll find a, a, a search box. Write either Bye Bye Gaza or write in my name. C-H-A-M-I-S-H and you'll find a big, long book that day by day tells you how dumb the Israeli people are and how their government abused them to pull out of, out of Gaza. And by the way, I had allies who saw past it, and I had informants who saw past it, but the, the, the Jews of Gush Katif of Gaza were the nicest people in the world, but also the dumbest. And they... I remember. I Barry, speak, uh, I need to document something for the the show. Do you know what time it is? I've got a. I've got a. It's. Uh, can, it's not, let me let me just go ahead and tell you. It's nine eleven. Oh right. <laughs> that won't mean anything to you, but uh, every time I do a show, uh, I keep saying this nine eleven. So I have no idea what that means. But uh, let me ask you a question. I would be interested in your uh, professional opinion. Who pulled nine one one here in America? Oh, you're asking, unfortunately, I'm the right person to ask. <laughs> um, I don't even know how this, how, you know, I can see under the mask, and that's the, the problem. You, you can't fool me. <coughs> For some reason, uh, I was talking about the uh, Jews of Gaza. They were completely fooled from day one, yeah. and I kept trying to educate them, and they they were snapped to fool. Uh, Israelis, you pull a few dirty tricks, you declare, well, really, it's a civil war against the religious. That's what's going on in Israel. And you use 
infiltrators and squealers and spies, and you can fool the people beautifully. Yes. Now, this mask, when 9-11 happened, um, well, why should I know anything about 9-11 and so forth? Well, it turns out that once again, boy, I, this, look, I've got to, before I begin this, I've got to uh, tell you something that the Jews have been infiltrated. And I'm talking, this is a subject we don't have time to even look at. But the Jewish people have been infiltrated from within. Uh, there are names you don't know. They were the false messiahs, known as Shabtai and, um, well, Jacob Frank. These people don't accept Judaism in any way you can imagine. They accept the opposite of the Torah as the truth. And, well, in other words, do not kill becomes do kill. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, murder. There is no do not kill. Do not murder becomes right. do murder. This has, this infiltration is real. It's hidden. The Jews in the past knew all about it and they have forgotten about it. And these Sabbateans or Frankists, they created. Uh, those that were referenced in the word, it says, those that uh, call themselves Jews but are not Jews? They're actually no. counterfeits? No. These okay. have been around uh, in the Middle East since 1666. That's when Shabtai Tzvi declared he was uh, the new Messiah in Europe. It was a century later. They've been around for a couple hundred years. Uh, there's no reference to them except obliquely, uh, but direct reference uh, you start getting direct reference to the damage they're doing in the 19th century. The, the Jews were furious with these Frankists. But again, this uh, I wrote a book on that as well, and it's called Shabtai Sfile, Zionism and the Holocaust. Again, if you want to go looking, you go to lulu.com and write in my name, and you'll have that book as well. Now, if the I, reason I mention this... Let me make a statement. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mega Man Radio Network. We've got uh, special guest author Barry Chamish. Uh, Barry, go ahead and give out your website, please. Oh, barrychamish.com. Okay, and we've got up in the show notes, folks, and Barry is a prolific author, and we're talking about stuff all over the dial tonight, and you can get his books over at lulu.com. Lulu.com. Give it back to you, Barry. Lulu.com. L-U-L-U.com. All right. Now, the reason I say that is because 9-11, and this is the real, real hard part, because the enemies of the Jews, well, they keep saying uh, what, unfortunately, I've proven. There are Jews... They founded something called labor Zionism. It it was a Zionism was the worst thing that could have happened to the Jews. But there was and is still a good Zionism. I need you, you to got, define a term because I've been confused on this for years, and maybe some of the listeners are too. 
Zionism. What does Zionism mean? It means the return to Jerusalem and founding uh, a Jewish nation, the Zionism. But there are three strains of it. There is the Cherut, or the conservative strain. For many years, they were good guys. They were honest. There's the religious Zionism, which again, overall, they've been decent and honest. But this labor Zionists are a bunch of hoodlums. And 9-11, they had a big, big role in 9-11. Let me make it easy for you. I personally know 9-11 was an inside job. Okay, uh, I wanted to get your opinion on it. You apparently agree as well, don't you? It's, again, I deal with facts. It's not opinion with me. Now, I'm not going to go and say what the peace process has done for Israel. I I won't even go before Oslo when Saddam Hussein scudded Israel and Israel wanted Saddam Hussein uh, killed and America uh, eventually went into Iraq after 9-11 and killed Saddam Hussein. There was a price to be paid and the price to be paid is the end of Israel, Israel without borders, all kinds of this globalist stuff that people don't realize. Actually, we exists. went in uh, to Afghanistan to uh, reinstate the opium production and get the pipeline. Yeah, that's separate from Israel. Sea. That's a separate attack from Israel. Iraq wasn't. Now, look, 9-11 was owned by two Jews, the World Trade Center. The whole property was owned for 99 years by two Jews, one of whom was Israeli. The ground floor space, that was 400,000 square feet of sales space on the ground floor was owned by a self-confessed Mossad agent. His name is Frank Lowy. The, the lease on the whole property is owned to this day by Larry Silverstein. Now, Silverstein had his boy, he financially supported the evacuation of Jews uh, from, from the Gaza Strip. Uh, he financially supported uh, the CFR. We have him at meetings. Uh, I've done this very, very thoroughly, but I don't want to confuse your readers too much. I'm going to just strike strike a chord without going into the details. If you want them afterwards, I'll be glad to supply them. At 5.20 in the afternoon of, of September 11th, 2001, in the shadows of the smoldering buildings one and two of the World Trade Center, another building came down. That was Building 7. It came down in a perfect, controlled demolition. Uh, I wrote this article. I included uh, Internet photos of Building 7 going straight down. Now, first of all, there is no other kind of demolition you can do in New York. If it's not controlled, you'll have bricks 100 blocks away uh, falling through windows, crashing through doors. Now, to engineer a controlled demolition of a 47-story building would take months. Months! 
Larry Silverstein admitted, well, the famous admission is on PBS, uh, but without Larry Silverstein, Building 7 couldn't have been brought down. You need the owner's permission for a thing like that. Now, keep in mind something. No building in history has ever been collapsed because there was a fire in it. What Larry Silverstein said was there was a fire in Building 7, so I decided to pull the building. Now, how did Larry Silverstein know his building was full of demolitions? How did he know that Building 7 was full of explosives? How did he know that? Now, when he pulled down Building 7, he did it voluntarily, knowing that the building was already rigged, an act that would have taken months of engineering to do properly, and Larry Silverstein knew it, so Larry Silverstein was in on it. And this, by the way, you can argue this every which way you want to argue, but Building 7 proved that Buildings 1 and 2 were full of explosives and went down and controlled demolitions just like Building 7. No doubt about it. They had planned thermite charges, folks, military grade. It came down just like a hotel. We don't know that, but... We don't know that, but we know that there were controlled demolitions because Building 7 was pulled by its owner, Larry Silverstein, at 520. who before that went down, he had just taken out an insurance policy on the building, had he not? All of that, six weeks before, all of that's background. Uh, look, how we got the building and the insurance policy and all this stuff, uh, is in the side. Let's just stick to the basic uh, process. Well, what, of what how... I do know, and I'll, I'll add to it for the sake of this conversation, was that Bush's brother was in charge. He has four brothers. It was in charge. Oh, and Marvin Bush was in charge of security. All this is known. This isn't my research. Okay, and him what and Giuliani, research... by the way, had a, him and uh, Giuliani, by the way, had a business together, and they were also involved in the London train bombing cleanup. I know this, and Netanyahu was there that same day. Oh, Let's I didn't not know that. get lost. <laughs> now, that's a Let's for me. not okay. get lost. We can go in every direction. I'm sticking with indisputable stuff. The rest, okay. again, is circumstantial stuff. Now, listen, I'm, now, folks, I'm not saying this is uh, the fault of the Jews. Absolutely not. This is a CIA operation. Okay, an, just... Go ahead. It's an operation that is certainly not all Jews. You've Absolutely got not. a Protestant yes. uh, element. I mean, who called off the Air Force? It wasn't a bunch of Jews. No, that was you've got That was all right. You've got you've got the Cheneys and Rumsfelds, and there are all kinds of Protestants. If you want to go blaming people, uh, you're going to end up blaming yourself. It's not worth it. All now right, let's yeah, no. go. I, listen, I love, I love Israel, and I am pro, I'm pro-Jewish, so I just want to settle that right now. Uh, I'm for Israel keeping its land. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to fire a No, we haven't off. finished this yet. Okay, keep Let's... me on target, Barry. Go ahead. All right. Now, we've got a down building. Now, why would Larry Silverstein endanger and incriminate himself to collapse 
a building full of explosives, there is only one answer. And if you can find another one, and I don't want to hear about who's in Building 7, uh, this IRS office or this tobacco and firearms office, that's irrelevant. The relevant fact is that Flight 93, United Airlines Flight 93, was the only flight that was tr was flying west. They were trying to get out of this trap. We don't know why. A myth has been formed where the guys gather around and and open their cell phones and this wife heard, let's get rolling boys, and that's all crap. The, the whole thing is crap. It was Cell phone uh, calls cannot be made at altitude during that time. Uh, that that, that's only part of the problem. The whole thing was very, very transparent, myth-making garbage. It was like the Pat Tillman story initially. You make up a story, and if Americans want to be dumb, they'll believe it. But Barry, I was told that none of the planes hit without deplaning the people first at the NASA hangar. So those Again, circumstantial. Let's stick with the issue. Flight 93 was supposed to hit Building 7. Uh -oh. And something happened where it escaped the operation, and Larry Silverstein was left with a building that wasn't hit by a third airplane. And now the fire marshals were snooping around, and they were going to find the explosives. And the whole 9-11 plot was going to go sky high. He had no choice but to bring down the building, knowing he would be protected by the law, if nothing else, because Flight 93 didn't arrive to hit the building when the explosives would have been ignited, they were missing the they were missing the third plane at the World Trade Center. That's what happened, and now you've got this mosque business. Now you got to ask the big question: How is it that? At ground zero, two blocks away, you can put up a 15-story Muslim center and mosque with the New York City Council and the President of the United States giving their tacit approval. The reason, again, there is blackmail at the highest levels, and the Muslims are taking big advantage of this. They know they didn't do it. And they know that Silverstein knocked down a building, so he was in on it. They've got the goods. Well, if you want well, to see... Uh, or you could go the other route. Uh, what we all believe is the case. Obama is a double agent. He's a Muslim. And, and don't do this. I stick with things that I've researched. I don't care if he's a Muslim or a Kenyan. Let me ask you, was it, he born in America or Kenya? What do you think? It doesn't matter to me. So what if he's born in Kenya? What do you get to replace him? You get Joseph Biden. Yeah, Big was, deal. Or, or we would have gotten uh, the other Joseph thing, uh, Biden. McCain wouldn't have been much better. No, he wouldn't have. He had a liquid vice president. That McCain would have been worse. It's all the same. It doesn't matter who's president. McCain is CFR. He, look, in my opinion, and now I'm going to speculate, he couldn't have lost the election unless he was trying to lose the election. He had a 60-40 lead two months into, with two months to go, and everything he did wrong, including his choice of vice president, everything was guaranteed to make him lose. 
But again, we're out of the realms. I was in Israel, and I saw the U.N. uh, trucks there. It was horrible to see that. Uh, I would have liked to have given them the boot. And I understand we have a huge American base over there. What is Obama's next plan? What's his goal? Well, there there is no huge American base. What you've got is a base built by the American Corps of Engineers. And I expose this as well. Do you know this because of me? No, I, I heard it uh, from first-hand reports that there was a huge base being built there. and we've Gigantic. Was I was yeah. the one who took the first pictures of it. I put it on the Internet. Uh, yeah. Uh, right on, well... Are we there to protect uh, protect Israel from the Arabs, or are we there to take Israel over? They're there to, well, that base was built uh, to remove all the IDF bases in Judea and Samaria and put all their equipment and manpower in this gigantic, huge, biggest base I ever saw. It's like half the size of Tel Aviv. And yeah. I went in there under the... Stars and stripes, and uh, you got to understand, with Isra- Israel isn't America. I'm an Israeli, and I, I did speak perfect Hebrew. I'm losing it now. Uh, I was uh, a veteran. You know, I passed. I could talk to anyone, and I went in there, and I talked. I talked to the construction manager, who was Israeli, and he said, the Americans are putting up the base for us. And he answered all kinds of questions, which in America I would never, ever have caught in this close to an interview uh, with, with the uh, construction uh, officer in charge of the whole base. In Israel, I could do that. Uh, that's What's the how purpose got, of the, the base, Barry? The purpose of the base was to clear out all the IDF bases from Judea and Samaria, put their equipment and manpower in this base. It was going to be the new, on the new border of Israel, directly on the so-called border with Palestine. Okay, well, let me ask you, where, where does America sit with its relation to Israel? Are we loyal to Israel and will stand? Well, no, America is the worst to... enemy Israel could ever have. It's a nightmare. Are you joking? The American people might be loyal to Israel. <laughs> but if you, if you think uh, that the powers that be are in any way loyal to Israel, you're wrong. They want Israel destroyed, and that policy has, well... Well, clearly, I believe our government does, and that's why I believe they've been forcing these presidents, prime ministers, to keep uh, giving away the land time after time. And every yes. time we we uh, we order Israel to do that, God judges America. When we were ordering the withdrawal from Gaza, we had our people uh, kicked out of their homes during Katrina. I believe the that again was me as well. Um, I put it on the internet uh, a couple of days before the Goose Katif pullout that I had a very strange, strange thought. I had just written an article. I sat down on my sofa and suddenly I have this idea: the letters of Katif and the letters of Katrina. They both start K A T. Now, if you remove the K-A-T, it's if, if you pull out of Gaza and then Katrina becomes rain, uh, the results will be rain. And I thought this was so important, I put it on the Internet, and it just went worldwide. Uh, the next day, uh, Chambers' vision, uh, if you pull out of Goose Katif, 
Katrina will rain on America. That that again, that was not evidence. That was, that was prophetic. some sort of vision I had. Absolutely. Uh I believe that. Barry, who's gonna fire first, Iran or Israel? Neither. What are you talking about? What's I mean, we're, we're, hearing, Iran? we're hearing that I mean, you know, Nonsense! Are you joking? Israel's it, got to uh, to nuke them because they're going to. Israel's not going to nuke hours. anyone. This is all just uh, phony baloney. Well, uh, yeah, but but Iran wants to kill Israel, so it has no choice. So what? If the minute is the minute Israel dares uh, to send a few planes against Iran, the next day Israel is gone. There's 120,000 missiles uh, between Hezbollah, Syria. Hamas, Israel will be annihilated the next day. Why well, talk about Israel? Israel simply nuke them. Israel can't simply nuke anybody. That's number one. That's against all the laws of humanity. I don't that's know. The first Something's thing. coming. Damascus. No, is nothing is heap. coming. Nothing. Syria is going to be a ruinous heap. It's got to be because the the word says. No, Israel is going to be a ruinous heap. No, I, I listen. It's going to get hit. But God's not going to let his country get wiped out. It may get down to the wire, but God is going to intervene. You know, when you talk about going down to the wire, my children, my sister, my family live in Israel. Going down to the wire means they all get wiped out. Look, th this is no victory you're talking about. Uh, right? the, there, there are real people there, and they don't go down to the wire. What you've got is Israel and the states flexing their muscle so that Iran wouldn't uh, carry on with its nuclear program. They ignored it. Israel would never dare hit Iran. And for that matter, Iran doesn't need to hit Israel. It's got its own proxies on the Israeli border. Why should they get involved? So uh, so you think basically... It's all been show. Okay, it's just show. They're going to actually decide the outcome in this, these meetings and over at the Mediterranean Union meetings. Am I correct? Well, they're going to supposedly make peace with Israel and Palestinians. Um, I don't know if Iran is even in the equation. Look, what is going on on Thursday is a meeting of tremendous significance that will fade into nothing because the big meeting, I'm repeating myself, on November 20th in Barcelona, Spain, they have promised the world that there will be peace. Now, as for what that means to Israel, if you, well, we know the terms of, of the European uh, peace, which the Palestinians don't want because they're going to get all of Israel if they wait long enough. But, well, Jerusalem is cut in half. Judea and Samaria, including the Jordan Valley, is removed. And the Golan Heights uh, becomes Syrian, and Israel is left, uh, well, with terrorism and internal uh, revolt until it disappears. That's their idea of peace. The option for Israel, and this is, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna discuss something that maybe you should understand. Uh, maybe you don't understand how serious. The, the next war is going to be in Israel. Now, what you've got being built right now, this is just from last week that the announcements have been made. Israel is building 
three shelters against, they call it ABC attacks. Uh, that's atomic, biological, or chemical attacks. Um, well, they're at the Jerusalem Railway Station, inside uh, the Haifa's Carmel Tunnels, and in the uh, basement parking lot of the Habima Theater in Tel Aviv, they're all being fitted with filters and beds and doctor's corners. Now, first of all, the Jerusalem uh, Refuge, this shelter, can hold 5,000 people. There are half a million Jews in Jerusalem, and you've got to be wondering. Now, look, even holding 5,000 5, people is a very costly operation when you're trying to filter out gas, uh, not to mention anthrax or smallpox. It's a complicated thing to build a shelter. But the 5,000 people, I assume, already know that they have a place in the shelter. It's certainly not for the Jews of Jerusalem. Uh, the influential people in government and finance uh, and the army will get their places in this shelter. The, the, uh, the people of Jerusalem will be left to fend for themselves. Sounds now, familiar, Barry. we got the same thing going over here. There is no contingency plan for the populace, only the elite. That's it. Yeah, well, you're not going to be hit with what Israel's going to be hit with maybe tomorrow night. And, yeah. uh now, there's another issue that got a major press last week. Um, now, look, I have to explain that in the Israeli army, uh, oh, once every six months we would get, it would be called a Mifhan Abach. It would be a gas test. There is a small core of engineers. They're called the uh, uh, atomic, Biological, and Chemical Warfare Corps. And they they would come to our base and set up a tent and fill it with what we were told was gas. It was obviously not uh, deadly gas. It was smoke of some kind. And we would run through with our masks on. And then we would gather in a circle and we would pull out these needles, which we didn't have to put in our thighs, thank God. Uh, they... Look, I know one guy who put the needle upside down and went right through his thumb, and he couldn't move his thumb for two months. Wow. This was against chemical attacks. You had to put this, this uh, neutralized the effects of the chemicals. Once every six months, we would see them. Now, this corps is about to become a battalion, and a battalion is a front-line, well, large uh, unit. Uh, wherever there are infantry soldiers, this, or for that matter, tanks or whatever battalion is up there, the Atomic Biological and Chemical Battalion will be with them. Now, they, uh, this is brand new, and this is a sea change uh, in Israeli defensive thinking. Now, there was an interview uh, with, with, the, uh, with the Corps commander's name is Ari Khuzer, and he's already called uh, the Union a battalion. He's not even waiting until it becomes an official battalion. Now, what he explained is uh, that they're extending the training course from five to eight months. And believe me, eight months of training is a long training course. I did two months to shoot a missile. Uh, eight months means you know your business. And he explains uh, that the, well, here's what he says. 
The goal will be to evacuate, decontaminate, and protect the forces, and after they have been decontaminated, to throw them back into the battle. Now, first of all, just so you understand this, after you've been through a chemical uh, attack, I mean, this is World War One. I. I mean, this is trench warfare. It hasn't been seen in a hundred years, but that's what they're talking about. What he says is our job is to teach the soldiers how to continue to fight in the midst of an, what they call an ABAC, an ABC attack, and to survive their mission. Look, if Israel is getting a battalion against ABC, again, atomic, biological, or chemical, there has been a sea change in the thinking of, of the Israeli Defense Forces. The next war will be a war with rockets, and it will be a war with gas. Well, I'm confused and, on some issue. I thought you said that this is a smokescreen, but there's not going to be any war because they're going to make the decision uh, for peace in these conference rooms. Who says that everyone's going to agree? And we know the Palestinians will not agree. And again, the Israelis are in a tough position themselves because Syria... Uh, it's going to want the Golan back, which will, oh boy, if the Golan gets well, back, Israel not only loses uh, the advantage of height, it yep. loses uh, its primary water source, the only thing that keeps the Sea of Galilee filled. I mean, Israel's got some choices. I it's think not Israel's like, going to have no choice but to nuke Syria and turn it into a ruinous heap. If you nuke Syria, you nuke yourself. If Damascus is 10 miles from Katsreen, you don't just go nuke... Look, What about again, a neutron bomb? Again, radiation will float all the way back into Israel. You don't nuke Gaza, and you don't nuke southern Lebanon, and you don't nuke it all because it's inhumane, and Israel is not going to do that. All right? Uh, again, well, how, we have... I mean, I think it's inevitable that Israel's got to defend itself because the reports we're getting... Is you've got Egypt, you've got uh, the Hamas. You've got the Arab world who want Israel out of the way, and yes. nuking somebody is not going to stop it. This so, is I mean, an internal war. Israel's got two million Arabs within the country. Israel has lost control of its Arabs. They can break laws. Look, I'm going to give you just one. This was the happiest news from Israel I can ever remember, honest to goodness, this happened this week, that Israel, the, well, the, the Minister of, of Infrastructure, his name is Uzi Landau, he is an old-fashioned Khairut conservative Zionist. He did something people couldn't believe. The Arabs have been stealing Israeli water right from the uh, water pipes. And this has been going on ever since there has been the peace accord. Arabs have been stealing from Israel blind. Now, part of the reason for stealing water is they can't afford it. They can't afford to pay their water bill. But the point of the matter is the police, they set up uh, ambushes and they busted over 230 Arab connections to Israel's main water lines. They found miles and miles of piping 
used to pipe the stolen water into Arab homes. They, well, we'll see if they prosecute them in the courts, but at least the police put an end to theft. Israel can't recall when it actually fought against and prosecuted the Palestinians. All they know how to do is to prosecute the Jews. Now, this may be hard for you to understand, uh, but I'm a victim of that. Anyone who opposes, call it the shadow government of Israel, but they're the actual government. The far left of Israel can get a hundred of its followers uh, to show up at a demonstration just by saying, uh, let's have a demonstration. The right no longer believe that there's anything to demonstrate for. All their institutions have been infiltrated. The secret services are in every single village and settlement and town. The right are defeated. The left have the upper hand, even though the Israeli public only voted 8% for labor last election, compared to Netanyahu's coalition of 68% right religious. Netanyahu was forced to bring Labour and Ehud Barak into the government, as was, of course, Sharon was forced to bring in Paris and Olmert. It goes on and on. Olmert he brings in Amir Paris, and they fight the, the disastrous war of 2006. The CFR says, we don't give a damn who wins an actual election. You're going to put Labour in your government. You're not going to accept any anyone but a totally corrupted religious party, and there is one Butte Shaft, uh, and I, I write about them in all my books. The point of the matter is this week, the Israelis acted like a country and actually busted thieves, and it's the first time anyone can remember that happening in like 10 years. That's about time. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a trend. It's the Canaret is running out of water. They can't afford this theft, but it's yes. not a trend. What hap- uh, will, will Israel find oil? What difference does it make? Israel's not going to exist in a year or two. It'll go to Palestine. And you think it'll be part of this borderless uh, area? I think the Palestinians are in for uh, a marvelous shock to their system when they don't actually get a country they're going to be incorporated into something else. Look, you think how, much time do, how much time do we have? We've got. Uh, I'm going to go into overtime if uh, if you you have time. In fact, I would like to take a break and give you an opportunity to refuel on some coffee. Uh, how uh, long a break? Uh, you want to go five minutes? All right, give me five minutes, and then how much time do we have left? Well, I can go a full three hours. So we've got another hour oh, if you would like. Oh no, I would run out of gas. Um, <laughs> We have we have uh, 15 minutes left in the two hours tonight, but we can go over to overtime if uh, you'd like to continue. You just tell me when you're ready uh, to call tonight, and we can shut it down. But uh, this I, is I'm not going to You know what? Give me five minutes. Uh, uh, I will have a, a cup of coffee. I'll be we're back take, in five uh, minutes. We're going to take a five-minute break, folks, and then bring back uh, Barry and try to uh, keep him on as long as we can because this is getting interesting. Uh, yeah, well, it gets uh, very interesting, but I may run out of gas. 
Uh, go take a bathroom break, get you a refill on your coffee, and uh, we'll be back, folks. So you're listening to Omega Man Radio Network. We're going to go to music break, and then we're going to be back on with Barry Chamish. Uh, Barry's website is barrychamish at chamish.com. I want you to go and order his books off of lulu.com, l-u-l-u.com. He's a prolific writer. He's got the inside story on Gaza. He has so much inside scoop, it's amazing, uh, at uh, what is coming out tonight. And uh, if you want the truth that you're not getting through the major media circuits, you need to get it from the man who was there. He was there when Gaza was being uh, kicked out. I mean, the, the, the people were being, the settlers were being moved and, you know, violently uh, removed. And, you know, they're living in mobile homes now. Uh, he knows what's going on. Uh, he hit it right when he gave me his opinion on 911. I believe the same way. And so we're going to go to a break here, and uh, we will be back in a moment. You're listening live to Omega Man Radio Network. All right, we're back with the Omega Man Radio Network. Uh, and we've got a, somebody jamming our signals tonight. Might be the CFR folks. <laughs> uh, wow. We've got a special guest on tonight, Barry Chamish. Prolific author. Uh, he has the inside scoop on what's really going on in Israel. He was one of the first to break the story of the assassination of Rabin and how a hitman squad took out Ariel Sharon, poisoned his tea or coffee, whatever he was drinking, gave him a stroke, and uh, through a series of contrived events, he's laying on a table now, a vegetable. Now, am I saddened by that story? Not really, because it was Ariel Sharon, controlled by his puppet masters, probably the CFR, that uh, booted all the settlers out of uh, places like Gaza. So personally, a man who will not stand up for his country and do the right thing, I don't lose any sleep that he's a vegetable right now. You say, but he was purposely put there, and he was controlled and told what to do. Probably so. But he still had to make a decision to go along with it. And it would have been better off for him if he'd have stood up, even if they'd have taken him out, than to have been bitten parcel of giving away the land that Yahweh God gave to the Jewish people. It doesn't belong to the Palestinians. It belongs to Israel. And, uh, you know, that may be a pipe dream that I have to see the Palestinians run out, to see the uh, the temple restored. And, uh, you know, there's only so much we can do, folks, because, you know, God does have a plan. And uh, a lot of these events, unfortunately, have to be carried out uh, as part of his plan of redemption of the Jewish people. And so it is what it is. But uh, Genesis 12.3 says, if you bless my people, I will bless you. If you curse my people, I will curse you. And regardless of, you know, who is behind what, you and I have a responsibility, and that is to support the Jewish brethren. If you will get behind Israel, God will bless you. If you get behind the, the world's view, where they want to divide up the land, God will curse you. Because no one has a right to take the land away from the Jewish people. Yahweh God gave it to them, to the descendants of Abraham. And it will ultimately be carried out. 
There's going to be a lot of lives lost in the process. But God's word will be performed. So I, I differ in a view here that uh, there is no hope. It may not look like there's any hope now, but there's the God factor, and God will come through. Unfortunately, there will be a lot of people probably uh, slaughtered in the process by these Arabs. Let me get uh, Barry back on the line. Barry, are you back with us on the Omega Man Radio Show? Yeah. Can you hear me? Uh, you're coming through great, my friend. Oh, uh, Barry, because you said the lines were crossed. Uh, I heard some uh, some static. Uh, we might oh. have been uh, targeted by some powers that be. But, no, uh, I don't worry about static. It's okay. There's, Barry, for uh, those uh, tuning in, go ahead and give out your websites and how people can get a hold of you and support your work. Because, it, folks, it takes resources to do the work that Barry does. He has to prepare. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Give out your uh, your contact information, Barry. All right. Now, to get my books, um, you go to lulu.com. That's www.lulu.com. You'll see a search box. Spell my name. C-H-A-M-I-S-H. That's Chamish. And you know, to download the books are like five bucks. Uh, to get them sent to your house is a little more, but for five bucks you've got the information tonight. Uh, my website is barrychamish.com, and there is a PayPal button. And if you do contribute a little bit, um, I'll be more than happy to send you a nice package of my DVDs. And I'm going to leave a phone number if you want me to invite me to speak. And incidentally, uh, I've done lots and lots of Christian uh, speaking dates. Uh, last month I was in Vermont, uh, very successful evening. So if you want to add a little energy uh, to uh, your institution or your gathering, phone me, 904-315-8067. That's 904 904- Three one five eighty seventy nine. All right, let's go back um, maybe to clear up um, some issues. And again, uh, the the issue of a lot of Jews are going to be slaughtered by Arabs. These are my family you're talking about, and there is uh, no redemption. Uh, I lose them. Nothing will redeem that. Now let's go back. Uh, to this issue of the Vatican uh, and the Mediterranean Union and a lot of the prodding. Look, the Arabs are being supported because they're useful. That's, that's the main reason they can get the Jews out of Israel. Now, one of the deals that the PLO agreed to and we know this, and I'm going to go through the evidence. They agreed, they agreed to, with the Vatican, uh, that the Vatican was going to get East Jerusalem and they were going to give the PLO capital within their area of, of jurisdiction. And this is, again, not me, uh, shouting to the skies. This is hard evidence. Um, and this also is a story I've broken, and a whole lot of people who now know it don't realize it came from me, uh, but it did. Now, it starts like this. Um, the date 
It was in 1994. It it was in 1994 in May or June. Oh, forget the dates right now. It was 94 and 95. Myra Coulter, he is a good friend of Shimon Paris. He was interviewed by the Israeli newspaper Shishi, which closed down two weeks afterwards. Uh, what he said was, was uh, he, I'll tell you what he said. He said that he carried a note from Shimon Paris in May of 1993 to the Holy See, and he described what was in this note. And he said that Paris offered uh, the, the Pope Eastern Jerusalem and all the holy sites of all religions would be in the hands of the Vatican. Marik Halter told this story <laughs> that, and I got it again from other people from Rantum Daka amongst them, that Paris was kept out of the Oslo negotiations. He found out about them in April, didn't take it seriously till May when he, when he understood it's the only game in town and he's been kept out. He went to his his buddies at the Vatican and offered them a way into Oslo. Now, this interview, as shocking as it was, it really was, but nobody noticed it except the trained eyes of me and my partner, Joel Bainerman. Uh, but La Stampa, an Italian magazine, I think it was in September of 94, reproduced, uh, a much longer interview with Mara Coulter, and boy, what they claimed that they gave details of what Paris offered the Vatican. All of East Jerusalem would be a duty-free shop. The airport, you could arrive without a passport, no taxes on anything. Jerusalem will be the world's international city run by the Vatican within Jerusalem, there will be a section chopped up by the Vatican where the PLO can make their capital. And this was now in a major Italian newspaper. And I got stories of uh, confronting Paris with these facts. I won't go into them. Uh, believe me, I had a very interesting life in Israel for 32 years. Uh, met a lot of high-ranking people. Paris never ever denied this story, but it got very, very interesting. Now, I had a leaker, and I promised him I would never say his name, which is ridiculous because a lot of people know it now. He ran the communications department of a, a government ministry. He brought in uh, the cables from the embassies worldwide, and he sorted them out. Whatever, he leaked me. <coughs> he leaked me. Oh, did he leak the material in court, including the secret clauses of Oslo? I mean, this guy was a true blue friend and confederate of mine uh, in my early days, 95, 96, 97. Whatever, he produced a cable. It was from the uh, Israeli embassy in Rome to the foreign ministry in Jerusalem, that was Shimon Peres's foreign ministry, outlining the handover of hegemony. That was the word in Hebrew, hegemonia, hegemony to the Vatican. And he transferred it 
in February of 95 to Arut Sheva, which was then a very influential uh, radio station. Today it's just a website. Then it literally, daily it had half a million listeners. It, if there were tabulations, it would have been, I think, the number one radio station of Israel back then. But they put on their website this uh, cable. And the next day, Haaretz, which is the uh, left-wing elitist um, newspaper of, of Israel, far more left even than the New York Times, um, it reproduced the cable from Shimon, well, to Shimon Peretz's foreign ministry, outlining the uh, transfer of hegemony of the old city of Jerusalem to the Vatican on its weekend newspaper. It comes out on a Friday. Front page. All of Israel now knew that Peretz's foreign ministry was planning to hand over East Jerusalem to the Vatican. The whole country knew it. Now, this was in February, just before uh, Passover. And every year, Paris would go to the real big rabbis and, and, and go to their tables and do a lot of politicking, whatever. He was canceled for the whole holiday. All the rabbis canceled him. Well, why not? I mean, he is handing over their holy city to the Vatican. So Paris had to come up with an explanation. And you can remind almost anyone over the age of 30 in Israel what this explanation was. And they remember, Paris had to deny, well, here was the official explanation from the foreign ministry. Yes, the cable was authentic, but some trickster had whited out the word not. So the cable actually said we will not be handing over hegemony of the old city to the Vatican. What an urgent cable that must have been. I mean, you could send that from anywhere. The government of Fiji will not be transferred the old city of Jerusalem. But as kooky and stupid as this explanation was, and I keep trying to explain the stupidity of the Israeli people, the rabbis bought it and re-invited Paris to their tables, and Paris is now president of Israel. It doesn't matter how exposed you are. This is a story that all of Israel knew about, and I was the only one to pay attention to it early in the game. Paris Amazing. works with the Vatican directly. Let me ask you a question. And yes. As you've investigated the um, the Catholic connection there, and I, I agree with every word you're, you're saying with regards to the, the the Pope has had those meetings, and that's his goal, the Vatican's goal. Uh, have you looked at the component of the uh, the Black Pope that heads up the Jesuits, which is apparently the mafia arm of the Catholic Church? Well, as a matter of fact, um, I've over time become uh, <coughs> buddies with uh, Eric Phelps. In fact, in Israel, I took him fishing one weekend, and uh, I've certainly read uh, his book, uh, and it's a long, long read, let me tell you something. It was a very fat book. So I, am, I have been introduced to the Jesuit element, which certainly is uh, an element, but there are others, and these 
what I've written about the Sabbateans uh, are every bit as devastating to the Jews as the Jesuits ever were. What Eric is saying is it's all Jesuits and they're behind anything and everything. And no, I found other elements uh, and I don't think he can find an easy Jesuit connection to the Sabbateans. I find uh, it interesting that the current Pope, Ratzinger, was a member of the Hitler's Youth Party. And, Ratzinger uh, volunteered for the Wehrmacht. What are you talking about, Hitler Youth? He was in the German army. Look, yes. I don't want to dive into the Nazi Pope and the Vatican too deeply, but they are really, behind the scenes, a major, major player in the destruction of Israel. No doubt about it. Let me mention something else, though, uh, and I don't quite know the angle yet. I have some thoughts, but um, many people have um, come across a recent news article that said Benny Hinn uh, was meeting with Don't know him. Don't know him. There's been different people going to meet with the Pope behind the scenes, so I'm wondering if there's going to be some major announcement soon that... uh, uh, the Vatican is going to take control over these sites. It'll be interesting to watch. Uh, I wouldn't bet on this. They work behind the scenes, and I don't know who a Betty Hinn is, and I don't even know who she is and whatever uh, else. It's a man, but uh, let me throw something else out to you. Uh, is there any truth that the Sanhedrin has uh, come back on the scene and been restored in Israel? Nah, it's a bunch of old men who gather together uh, once every six months and and decide on nothing. No, 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 no. This, uh, and I know, you know, one of the members of this, uh, founding members of this gathering that they call themselves the Sanhedrin, um, was Marvin Antleman. And Marvin Antleman was a tremendous influence on me. Now, he is considered kind of a, well, sort of a rascal of a, of a rabbi. Uh, but nonetheless, he was influential in founding uh, this meeting that's called the Sanhedrin. Marvin wrote uh, two, well, they're considered classic books. They really are the conspiracy, the best of conspiracy books, as Marvin's uh, uh, To Eliminate the Opiate, which later was followed up by To Eliminate the Opiate Two. Um, Marvin was Marvin was the first one to expose that Judaism has been infiltrated by really nasty, evil people called the Sabbateans. He was the one. Other people had written about it in very, very scholarly language, but he put it together. In a, He's not an easy guy to write. The reason why I believe I got more followers eventually to the thought that Judaism itself uh, has a shadow government working against traditional Judaism. And in fact, these are really, really evil uh, people without conscience and on and on. That comes from Marvin, but I wrote it in a way that that people would find even entertaining. I, I think, toned uh, on the language even more. What's the uh, name of that book that uh, goes into that? Shabtites v. Labor Zionism and the Holocaust. I will send you a free copy by email, by the way. I'll do that uh, tomorrow. And can people get that also up on Lulu.com? Sure can. Okay, Barry, let me ask you a question. Uh, have you ever been up on the Temple Mount yourself? Sure. 
Okay. Lots of times. <laughs> I understand, though, for but for the most part, uh, it's been off limits to the Jewish people, which is... No, no, you're talking about... You're not talking about the Temple Mount. It's not no, off limits. No, I'm you're not talking, talking about, the, about the wall. I'm talking about the actual the temple mosque. there next to the mosque. But if you go across to the left of the mosque, they have the Dome of the Souls. I believe that's where the Temple of Solomon set, and that was the place of the Holy of Holies. Well, it's the Dome of the Rock, actually. And, uh, yes, I mean, there's a rock. Now, I'm not sure what we're getting at here. They've had I just, it. I was just curious if, you, if, if it has changed. I've been there. there. There was Smells no like access feet. except for the Arabs. No, no, no. Uh, there are tour groups, and if you don't, if you don't carry um, a Bible or, or start praying there, anyone could go up there. I mean, I, I uh, got up there myself. I'm a Gentile, but at the time I was told that the Arabs were, and the Gentiles were the only ones that had access. And what the Arabs would do is they would go up there every weekend and they'd throw rocks down on the people. Now, nah, that's happened wall. three, four times. Let, let's not exaggerate this whole thing. The, you're talking about the Holy of Holies, uh, the Harabite, uh, and that is really uh, where the new Palestinian capital was supposed to be uh, at least situated. So it's got <coughs> political connotations. Um, whenever there are rocks, you have a riot. The Israeli troops move in and stop the rocks. That's only happened four or five times. But you have had it explode every now and then. But again, ideally, ideally in 67, we should have taken it over. But Moshe Dayan yeah. in 67 uh, was blackmailed. I'll tell you about... I'll tell you about this as well, because this leads to the 73 war, where Diane was the uh, Minister of Defense, and he sold Israel out completely uh, to Kissinger. Again, we're going to talk facts, um, and I've had this. A lot of people have finally seen that Diane was fighting the Six-Day War. He was the chief of staff. Of the Israeli Air Force, of the Israeli Defense Forces. The Americans, I repeat, LBJ wanted an excuse to get this communist, Marxist, pro-Russian Nasser out of power. <laughs> they wanted to use this war to put American troops into Cairo and get rid of this, again, pro-Russian and I won't go into the Aswan Dam and when Nasser became pro-Russian. There's a, a whole story behind there, but let's get to the nuts and bolts. <laughs> Johnson didn't mind killing the sailors. Uh, to get into Vietnam, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin uh, accord that said Americans, an American ship, a PT boat was fired on by the North Vietnamese, and it was all an American operation. The same Absolutely. thing, he, he wanted the liberty, another warship sunk. Just and like he Pearl ordered Harbor was, my Pardon me? Just like Pearl Harbor before it. It's an excuse. They, it is. It's, it's just a pretext. You need a pretext to overthrow Nasser. Johnson ordered Diane to sink the liberty. And then Egypt would be blamed, and America could overthrow the communists in Egypt. But Diane screwed it up. 
the ship withstood the bombing. 37 were dead. Israel bombed it, but the ultimate order came from Johnson and the American administration. They were planning to sink the Liberty and maybe take down 200 soldiers, figuring that they'll save millions of lives from the communist mass or however these people think. It was an American operation that Diane screwed up. <laughs> from that point on, Diane and Kissinger and the CFR were one and one. Diane was so blackmailed. Now, here is the ultimate in blackmail. In this leading up to the 1973 Yom Kippur War, Diane was told again by Kissinger, and I won't go through the the boring details of of what we know, but in short, the Arabs were going to get 24 hours free of charge without any Israeli resistance to attack Israel. <laughs> the deal was that the Arabs do not go into pre-67 Israel, but Israel will provide no defense, none, because Diane removed the Israeli troops from the Suez Canal. He removed them from the Golan Heights. He left Israel unmobilized. It was not a surprise attack. <laughs> there were plenty of people who knew they were the Arabs were going to attack their chief of staff. I, I'm sorry, their minister of defense by then had given the order to the army to withdraw massive numbers of troops from the Suez Canal and the Golan Heights and not to mobilize a soul. The Arabs had 24 hours free of charge to attack Israel. And in fact, the Syrians got all the way to the Jordan River. They could have taken the Galilee. They could have been having falafel in Tiberias within an hour if they had continued. Now, what the excuse, why did the Syrians stop at the Jordan River? The excuse is they overran their supply lines. You know, if you cross the entire Golan Heights, one end to the other it takes an hour and a half. Yes. You don't overrun your supply lines uh, when it's an hour and a half back to uh, where you started from. In short, the Syrians stuck by the deal. They did not enter pre-67 Israel, or you would have seen the Galilee in Syrian hands. Moshe Diane sold Israel out, murdered 2,700 soldiers in the first three days of that war. 3,500 eventually died. The best and brightest, we need not say anymore, these were the flower of Israel's youth, murdered by Diane because of a deal he cut with Kissinger, and Israel suffered a surprise attack. That was a surprise because his minister of defense was working with the Council on Foreign Relations. And this, by the way, is a this is the real history, and no one's going to tell you this. Was uh, Kissinger a Sabbatarian? Sabbatarian. You know what? You know what? Uh, I have no answer for that. I, I cannot answer that. I don't know. 
I can answer about about our POWs in Vietnam. Oh, I didn't say he was a nice guy. (laughs) That's something else. Uh, I mean, this guy, look, for these people to accept what they do and the lives they cost, um, you know who told me this uh, was Joel Skousen. Uh, He's a a good Yes, uh, very smart guy, uh, survival preparation. Uh, Strategic Um, relocation is a better term for it. I know from the World Affairs Brief, but he was my host uh, in Salt Lake City, and I was his host in Jerusalem for a Rabin convention. And he told me uh, in Salt Lake City, he said that the way that these people can carry on, he says, without absolution, they have to be given absolution because the crimes they've committed are not permitted by any religion of any kind. This, he says, they they started with consciences, uh, consci- tough one, and they accepted crimes. He said no man could do that unless he were given absolute assurance Maybe of they- absolution. That sounds uh, kind of familiar. Maybe they bought favors from the Pope. <laughs> I would, I would say the Pope has uh, a great deal in offering um, forgiveness and a, a path to the next world. Uh, we're talking about someone with the power to forgive um, grotesque crimes of mass murder. Well, he, uh, he at least he believes so. Uh, let me ask you a question. Did Yasser Arafat die of AIDS? You know what? He had to have. I gathered so much evidence of the time. I'm not talking about later on when rumors started. Uh, but Yasser Arafat, now, who was the Romanian? He was deputy head of the Romanian Secret Service. It was Jan and Anusku. Uh, Yanusku, whatever it was, he wrote a very influential book in the uh, late 1990s, I believe. Uh, don't get me wrong; I could have the date wrong, but it, Yanusku, I think his name was. Whatever he wrote about uh, how uh, Ceausescu used Arafat and how he would supply him with little boys and. Yes. Oh, you know about this book? Well, no, I just know that the um, the preference of most of uh, the Arabs is they use women for procreation, and they most of them are homosexuals. I'm just going to be straight up. Well, according to this book, the Romanians uh, took Arafat's predilection for pedophilia, and they supplied him with little boys, and they photographed him, and they blackmailed him. And uh, we have ample evidence uh, that Arafat was, in fact, uh, uh, a rampant pedophile. And for him to contract AIDS from Europeans, Romania was an AIDS capital, is not the least far-fetched. Yeah, I suspected as much. Uh, is Netanyahu going to survive, or will he go the way of Ariel Sharon, and they'll take him out? Well, you have to understand he's playing ball. Now, I told you before uh, that I know the people who support Netanyahu uh, very closely, and I knew them very closely. Now, Netanyahu 
has surrounded himself with people who I think started off innocent and and today they are not. Now, uh, I knew Dory Gold uh, pretty well, I gotta tell you. <laughs> uh, we were friends, we had a mutual friends. Uh, he was friends with um, uh, Her- uh, Herman Wolk's children, uh, the guy who uh, wrote The Cain Mutiny. Uh, he's considered a, a classic Jewish author. Uh, I was friends with Joey Wook. We were in the same class. We were both friends with a pianist named Bob Blake. And Dory Gold was also friends with, with Joey. And uh, I met him socially at least five, six, seven times. I mean, he certainly knew me, and I certainly knew him. And I liked him, and he didn't like me very much, I, <laughs> I believe. But I can live with that. That's okay. Uh, but uh, he became Netanyahu's uh, UN ambassador, and I, I watched him on TV last week just spouting the company line. Uh, I mean, just told what to say and saying what he was told to say. Uh, he, let's say that if he was ever a free-thinking individual, he is not anymore. He fell in with Kissinger, and he got the whole brainwashing and he is, he's not the Dory Gold that I knew. I mean, I knew when he was young, he had a pretty wife. Um, but, he, again, I, I got all the, the schooling. Uh, he was trained in Harvard, wasn't he? Uh, you know, I think that's right. I think the Wolves were from Boston. I think you're right. Uh, but, again, I don't know, so I won't say. But uh, Dory was... Um, a decent, honest guy who fell in with Kissinger when he was the UN ambassador and today is just mouths off like a robot. Now, the other one I knew and very closely, I want to say, uh, was Michael Oren. Uh, we were drafted the same day. We knew each other uh, a little bit from university, and then we were drafted into this on the exact same day, and we became pals. Uh, we, uh, I mean, we sought each other out and talked to each other. Uh, when we both needed warmth and to speak a little English, there we were in the draft center. After uh, we got out of the army, he said something. We had a nice, uh, we had a nice conversation, and I described my rather dreary army. Uh, I mean, I was shooting missiles. It's not that interesting, but he, <laughs> well. Uh, we were both, both of us were called in by the Secret Services for interviews. And uh, my story is actually kind of funny and kind of good, but I won't do it. But I was rejected, hands down, from ever going near a Secret Service for my behavior. Uh, I mean, they followed me around. for They gave me a leave from the Army, and then there was a pretty girl on the bus, and she started talking to me. <laughs> I mean, they checked me out for a week, but uh, Michael got in and he told me uh, what he did for them. He was uh, given a phony press card. I mean, Michael um, is tall and blonde and looks quite Gentile, where it doesn't matter. I, I look like a Jew, and I might have been of limited value just over that. But he said that he was given um, a press card from the Kansas City Star, and he went to Syria and Iraq, 
as supposedly as a journalist, and he told me these stories. <laughs> he said the Syrians are very nice people, but they really hate us. And he he was saying that their food is so much better than Israel's, and the falafel in Damascus is a different meal. And he he said he was on the Golan Heights and saw the uh, the Galilee from their point of view. And he gave me all these stories and adventures uh, that he had in the army. Well, obviously as a Mossad agent. I mean, what else was he? He was report. He was undercover uh, from the army. He was put undercover, and he was reporting back to the Mossad. And that's what they do. They do foreign uh, intelligence gathering. Do they work for the uh, the CFR in turn, or are there any? Um not officially that, that I've ever heard. Or are there any people inside the HC which uh, still want to see uh, Israel retain all their land? Or are they all taking orders from the oh, there's government? None of that anymore. None of it. Look, Pretty you have to understand here. the Israeli, the IDF doesn't have a keeper beyond colonel. You don't get into general staff if you're religious, right wing, or patriotic. You don't get there. All right, let, let's not fool with that. Uh, the highest you'll go is colonel. That's it. What if, a shame, Barry. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's the way it is. I just kind of accept it. Uh, but let me ask next you a question. You in, uh, uh, in 2007, I went to uh, I went to Israel for the second time, and I was a guest of the uh, Ministry of Tourism. Went over there with my uh, my brother and a couple other associates. And I just went along for the, the trip. I was invited, and I wanted to go back and meet some friends. So I went on over, and uh, I needed to come back early. And so I changed my ticket, and I get up to the airport, and uh, they delayed me. And I had to go through uh, three different people and explain uh, what I was doing in the country and why I was leaving. Is that uh, pretty much normal? Well, if you change your ticket, you're on a suspicious list uh, immediately. That's just airport security. Okay, okay. And I, I'm not blaming them. I mean, Israel's got to protect itself because it's surrounded by enemies. You change and, uh, tickets, your name comes up on the computer as someone who changed the ticket, you're immediately suspicious that you went through airport security. I wouldn't okay. worry about that. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Now, this is asked a lot of times. What happened to the other 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel? Does anybody know? How do I know? Come on. <laughs> you're asking me things. Of course I don't. Well, what about the Jews that came Nobody back? knows what became. There were two tribes survived. They yes. became Judea. Samaria disappeared. Nobody knows where they are. There are a few hints here and there, <laughs> ancient uh, practices and, and stuff like that. There are some hints that they may have been of the tribes of Israel, this one in Pakistan, this one in Afghanistan. But, uh, you know, I don't have an answer. Nobody well, has an answer. The people that are coming from Ethiopia, uh, apparently they were allowed to come back in. Are they one of the lost tribes? What? No, they the came Ethiopian. in by the hundreds of thousands. What are you talking about? Who were they? Are they Jews? They're Ethiopian Jews, apparently late converts. Again, you're asking me things that uh, are of zero in interest to me. Here's another question on our list. Does anybody know where the Ark of the Covenant is? Is it still in... Nobody knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. The thing was made out of wooden cloth. It's uh, been a sack of dust 
for the last 3,000 years. Okay, does this name mean anything to you? Have you ever heard the name of Nimrod Novik? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I have. Uh, I, I now, heard that he's uh, one of the power men behind the scenes. Is there any truth to that? No, but there was a Nimrod Novik, and remind me who he is. If he well, was a power broker, I'd know him. Apparently, he was, a, he was a politician behind the scenes, and when there was a hunt for the Ark of the Covenant, he was one of the guys that gave an order to stop some of the searching under the mount. Oh, I don't know any of this nonsense. This is this is stuff from uh, myth and mythology, and none of it comes true. I'm dealing with the day-to-day -day actual existence of the state of Israel, whether it will survive and whether it won't. And I happen to believe that under this leadership, it's led the Jews from one disaster to the next one, and Israel is facing a potential holocaust. All this other stuff is, is just the stuff uh, of myth. You've, and got, you've got a point, uh, but we're forgetting one thing. Unless there is intervention, and I, I believe it's clear God is going to have to intervene. Now, or Allah will intervene. Well, this is not, Allah was nothing more than a demon. Yeah, but uh, the other God. side believes. The yeah. other side, the other side believes in Him, and you this is not that, for. Barry, there's only one Yahweh, and this other one is a counterfeit. The so on. What I'm trying to say is there are two sides to a war, and a war is fought specifically. And I'm trying to keep my, I'm trying my best to keep my feet solidly on the ground, and tell people what Israel is actually facing. These other things are so so in left field uh, from from the utter danger. You have Israel's to admit, though, uh, Barry, that from time to time, even things surprise you. Such as your investigation of um, giants in the land. Oh, that's a whole long, long, we're, we're long We're going to do a whole story. program on that, but uh, you've there been was something very uncanny uh, going on in Israel, and this uh, I'll take an hour sometime in the future to talk give us about. Uh, give us an executive summary, a little bit of a taste. I'll, I'll give you the summary. Yes. Uh, I wrote a book called Return of the Giants. Now, I had to earn my living uh, there as here by the skin of my teeth. Uh, uh, well, um, I was, um, well, I was the correspondent to major newspapers, trade magazines like The Hollywood Reporter and Billboard, all the way down to Poultry International, uh, anything that would take a correspondent, I would... Uh, I would send them articles. Now, in this niche world, there was something extraordinary happening in Israel from 1987 to 1999. There were aerial phenomena, uh, or what is commonly called UFOs, but this was front page headlines. Front page. This was not marginal. And I just started, well, I started off just going and interviewing a, a couple of few to see what's going on. And then I got a book contract from New York, very mild, but nonetheless it was a contract, which eventually was canceled, and I had this research, and I had these people, and the stories are truly incredible. In the year 1993, seven women who didn't know each other they didn't, they wouldn't know each other 
in a supermarket. They were from three places in Israel. They all were visited by seven-foot giants. They were seven-foot-tall, round faces, neon metallic clothing. They left discs in their backyard. They were filled with weird oils, heavy and on the cadmium side, weird metals, mostly silicon. The the evidence for the revisitation of Israel for the first time in 3,200 years of giants was astounding. Now, it so happened that my work was got known to a program in the United States called Sightings. It was on NBC. They did five shows based on my research, and they paid me well, which was very nice, 3000 bucks one show, which in those days was big money. And then Bob Kiviat, Fox TV, I was on for from 7.30 to 8, primetime American TV, a show on my research. I got better known from this subject than I did for the Rabin assassination. But again, I did the work equally well. I gathered the evidence. I learned how to corroborate testimony. I I sent uh, the medals. I sent the sands. I sent the oils to laboratories. And I got results from the laboratories. I did a very, very good job on this story. Now, what it means, I don't know, because I'm not a UFO writer. For a period, I found a a most fascinating story, and it became a book also available at lulu.com. That's L-U-L-U dot com, right in Return of the Giants. Or spell my name, C-H-A-M-I-S-H. If you want to know about the most likely possibility, I'm not saying it happened, but I'm saying at least it's a possibility that the Nephilim or the Anakim or the Rephaim from the Bible actually came back in 1993, that's the book you should read. Barry did, uh, in Genesis 6, it talks about the sons of God came down and mated with with women, was that the fallen angels that created these half-giant, half-human offspring? Well, these were already giants. Um, They were seven feet tall, uh, and all the women were the same age. They were all 39. Uh, Two of them had weird pregnancies. I assume the giants had their way with them. I don't know this for a fact. They had memory loss. Uh, but, and, and the giants always landed on the Sabbath. And go try and figure that one out. This story is, is too long. Did you go it's, over to Gaza? I understand there was a lot of giants in, in the area of Gaza. There were none, not even a one. Okay. Look, if you want to talk about this someday, um, I will talk about, you're talking, if, if you're talking Gaza, you're talking the Bible and Goliath or something. There were none this time around. Okay, well, we're going to do a whole show on that. I just wanted you to uh, touch a little bit on that. Um, that's pretty amazing because there is, well, I do want to ask one other question. Is it true that what we heard that uh, back during the Six-Day War, uh, a lot of UFOs were sighted or what they termed to be UFOs? Not a one. Okay. Look, again, ideal, ideal. Oh, I only open my mouth after I've researched 
and after I'm certain, and after I've been in the field, we'll talk about this issue uh, you, if you uh, want for a separate hour. Yeah, and we're going to do that because uh, that's going to be an awesome show, uh, just like this one was. Will you ever be returning to Israel, or are you a marked man if you'd go back there with all the knowledge that you know? I, I, my children live there, and I miss them, and I phone them all the time, and I miss them. Uh, if I go to Israel, it will be uncomfortable, and I've given this a lot of thought. As America is getting poorer and poorer, the advantages of being here are becoming more remote, <laughs> at least in Israel. I had health insurance, and if worse came to worse, um, I wouldn't uh, go bankrupt just paying for um, uh, any sort of surgical operation. There are practical reasons why someday I might have to, mostly my children. Absolutely. Folks, if you were just tuning in, it's been our pleasure and honor to have on uh, author Barry Chamish tonight. Uh, he is a prolific author, as I've mentioned. Go up on lulu.com, that's L-U-L-U.com. You can order his books. Uh, those are available for instant download. Is that correct, Barry? Yep, five bucks. Uh, you get Return of the Giants with all the photos. Give us uh, some of the other titles that you have up there. You mentioned the one about Gaza. Bye-bye, Gaza. The Compromise Land, that's my latest. Uh, Save Israel, uh, well, Return of the Giants. Um, Israel Betrayed, uh, they're all up there. I've got a whole list of books on Lulu, and as I said, you you want the return of the Giants for five bucks it's in your computer tonight. Fantastic. Uh, you can also go to his website, Barry Chamish, C-H-A-M-I-S-H dot com, and we'll put that in the show notes. Barry, if there's someone listening that would like to have you come out and uh, speak on any of these topics, it may be the assassination of Rabin. It may be the Giants. It may be about well, those the... Are the... Those are the popular ones, that's for sure. Um, yeah, give me a call. Uh, 904-315-8079. That's 904-315-8079. Awesome. Um, Barry, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on tonight. Uh, mine as well. And... and uh, Nearing three hours, and this is about as far as I can take an interview. Folks, I want to say uh, support Barry. Get a hold of his books. They're $5. He's got some awesome insight. Uh, if you'd like to have him uh, come and do a meeting where you're at, he's available. And uh, support the man. He put his life on the line. Uh, they tried to assassinate him in Jerusalem. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't. It doesn't matter. I had a rough time at the end. That's have, why I'm in America now. You had a rough time, now. my friend, because of what you know. And a lot of people aren't happy with that. But he's out here still alive. And I'm asking you all to pray for him. Keep keep him in your prayer. He needs it. Support him so he can continue to uh, report the news that you're not going to get anywhere else, such as the Mediterranean Union. That's one I've never heard, Barry. That's well, pretty cool. Just go on Google and start looking it up, and you'll get into the underside of the peace negotiations. I love the word peace. Uh, I mean, everyone knows it means war, uh, but I, I love when they use it because that uh, is the hint that we are not getting peace, we're getting conflict. Well, Barry, may God bless you, 
And uh, thank you for coming on tonight, brother. And uh, I'll be back in touch with you and uh, get you back on again. And we want to talk about the Giants next. We'll do the Giants next. I look forward to it. Take care, Barry. Thank you very much. Bye, all. You've been listening to Barry Chamish. Uh, great guest tonight. I appreciate him coming on. Uh, interesting show. Um, you know, I'm not a professional interviewer, folks. And so bear with me as I get up to speed. Um, you know, I believe God gave me this platform so we could bring together a lot of different uh, people, give them a platform to speak, and uh, learn something in the process. And so I appreciate you tuning in. Now, I've got some other uh, great guests lined up for you this week. Okay, tomorrow we're going to have Pastor Charles Holtzhauser back on, and he's going to be doing uh, more spiritual warfare boot camp training from the perspective of a, a Vietnam veteran, okay, and a veteran of spiritual warfare for 35 years, along with the mass deliverance. We're going to have Terry Cook, who was one of the first that uh, blew the uh, cover on the Mark of the Beast and the New World Order. Most of what he wrote back in the 90s has come to pass, uh, and is, uh, he's going to tell you there's a lot more things they have in store for us if they're able to carry out their plan. The Lucifer chip, okay, it's coming. Uh, you're not want to, going to want to miss that program. That will be Thursday night at 11 p.m. I've got my personal friend Anthony J. Hilder coming on Thursday. Uh, coming on. Uh, wait a minute. Thursday night is Anthony J. Hilder. Friday is Terry Cook. Anthony J. Hilder, 17,000 interviews. He's the guy that uh, went down and would go to Area 51 every year and protest. And. Uh, <laughs> Uh, prolific uh, filmmaker, uh, Hollywood actor, good friend of mine. I talked to him today, and he's going to be talking about the beast in the Bible Belt, the infiltration of the Masons into the church. There are some uh, televangelist folks that are Masons. You don't believe it? We've got evidence. They're not supposed to be a member of these secret societies. Okay? Be careful who you send your money to, folks. Do a little bit of research first. Look for the fruits. I recommend you go back and rewind the uh, show we did a couple nights ago. Your best bet is help the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the nation of Israel. Okay? Uh, don't just blindly send your money into a televangelist, okay? Because <laughs> um, a lot of these guys are masons. And uh, they're part of this one-world plan to have a, a united religious system that uh, the Pope is putting together. You know, Benny Hinn went up and met with the Pope. I wonder what he talked about. Would he ever reveal it? Who knows? Uh, we're going to have Terry Cook on. Okay, we're going to have Anthony J. Hilder. I've got Pastor Johnny Oven, Rock Rodrigo, coming in. Once again, okay, there were folks uh, that tuned in the other night, got deliverance, got baptism of the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's fruit, okay? These things don't happen if God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, don't show up. So we're praising God for the fruit that's coming out of this program. And I'll mix it up every once in a while. Uh, you know, I, I try to give you some variety. You know, there is a shortage of del true deliverance ministries in this last and age, so I can't wear them out and have them on every day. So what I'll do is I'll kind of intersperse with some other uh, interviews and uh, hope to keep it exciting. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm one man. Okay, I've got to do it all. I've got to run the control panel. I'm the producer. I've got to go uh, contact people. Uh, to come on this show, I've got to do the website, and uh, I still got to uh, make a living during the day. I mean, this is a labor of love. 
But it's a ministry. God has called me onto the front lines like he's called you. Okay? God has a calling on us all. The question is, will you obey or not? And there is a sacrifice, folks. So, um, But there's a heavenly reward waiting, too, if you will be obedient to the Lord. But back to the point. We've got uh, Johnny Ova and Rock Rodrigo coming back on. We have Pastor Dr. Pat Holliday coming back on. We're going to be starting a, a new series Saturday night at 8 p.m., Intercessory Spiritual Warfare Prayer. This is stuff that's going to shake the heavenlies. You know, we did this uh, prayer the other night for uh, breaking down the, the walls to the enemy who has stolen from you financially. Okay? Praise God. That has repercussions in the heavenlies. If any of you have uh, seen a miracle as a result of the ministries that have come on and done these shows, you've seen healing, you've received deliverance, the Lord has given you gifts of the Spirit, you've seen financial breakthroughs, you've seen the miraculous happen, I want to hear from you. Um, send me an email. Shannon at OmegaManRadio.com Email me. I'd love to hear from you. If you can't remember that, just go to OmegaManRadio.com. Click on the Contact Me link. If there's someone you'd like to have me interview and bring on, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, shoot me a message, and I'll go try to track them down and get them on. Uh, there are a lot of interesting folks that we can glean from. And uh, shouts out to uh, Rando Mandel. Uh, had a, a good time on his program last night. Uh, go check out his program, Great Man of God. Support him. Uh, we've got others like uh, ISAB Radio that uh, are coming on board with programs and others. And so uh, support these people, folks. They're out there uh, doing the work of the Lord. They're trying to be obedient, uh, just as I am and others are, and do what God has called us to in these last days. And uh, if you haven't done so already, tell a friend about the program. You know, uh, not everybody uh, can support financially. You know what? You can make a big impact um, by emailing your friends. When the show's getting ready to happen and you're going to tune in, fire off an email. Say, hey, go tune into the Mega Man show. Uh, keep us in prayer. Folks, I am under demonic attack. If I do not know spiritual self-defense, I might not be on here tonight. Okay, the attacks come hot and heavy. And there are casualties in this battle. The hosts of hell are real. And when you put yourself up as a, as a target, they will uh, come after you. But, you know, I have no choice. God has told us to go into the territory and set the captives free. That means preach deliverance, do deliverance, miracle healing. Um, tell the truth that they're not telling you on the television programs. It's not popular. They wouldn't get uh, your money if they told you that uh, the true story is we all have demons and you need deliverance. Okay, what they want to do is uh, feed you some cough syrup and suppress the cough, but they don't want to get to the root problem. But I, I'm not here to do a program on that tonight. The point I'm trying to say here is we are on the front lines, and I need your prayer. Okay? Pray for angelic protection, because it gets rough sometimes. I've never seen so many attacks as have been manifesting this past week alone. But not only me, many others too. Satan is stepping up his uh, attacks. But we've got to keep the faith, and the faith will keep you, as my grandmother says. So uh, pray for us, email your friends, and uh, if the Lord has blessed you and you'd like to support this uh, work and uh, 
and be partners with us. Uh, it is my desire to uh, go to a, another platform in addition to Blog Talk, and that is get up on uh, WWCR Shortwave. And if God opens the door, then we'll do that, and uh, we'll reach a, a worldwide audience that uh, doesn't have Internet access even. And what I would do is I'd just simulcast it. Uh, there's a lot of people, folks, that uh, believe the Internet's going to go down, and they're preparing, and they don't want to be cut off from their news stream, so they're going the way of shortwave. Uh, interesting, and I believe that uh, they're onto something here. You know, they're talking about the, the Internet kill switch. I believe it is a reality, and it will ultimately happen. I just don't know the timing. So that's something we'd like to do. I'm also exploring uh, the option of doing a uh, video feed. Uh, there's several, like Alex Jones, who do that, and it makes it for an interesting show. And unless I forget I'm on the air and I decide to pick my nose. <laughs> it would be interesting for you. It would be embarrassing for me. But uh, at any rate, uh, in, in, all, uh, in all seriousness, I, uh, I praise God for what he's doing. I want to thank each and every one of you for coming in. And look, folks, uh, some people just do one time a week. I'm endeavoring to try to do this every night, and some nights we're doing double programs. I don't expect you to be here every time, uh, but you can certainly look through... The uh, listings, find programs that you want to listen to, and you can download them on MP3. Listen to them when you like. We're also up on iTunes. Praise God, you can just do a search on Omega Man Radio, subscribe, and the content will be waiting on your iPod every morning. You can take off and listen to the show on your way to work. I hope you like the uh, the new spots. Shouts out to Carl Harris for uh, helping the Omega Man with that. He's a uh, an awesome brother. And uh, I've got about four minutes remaining, so with that, I think I'll play a tuner or more, and uh, God bless you tonight, and I will see you back tomorrow night with uh, Charlie Holtzhauser at 8 o'clock. God bless you. This is uh, Omega Man signing out. Thank you for listening to Omega Man Radio. Our mission is to operate in the threefold ministry of Jesus Christ and take evangelism, deliverance from demons, and miracle healing to the world. If you would like to partner with us, you can support this work by donating any amount online at OmegaManRadio.com. Join us in an all-out attack against the hosts of hell. It's time to deliver a death blow to the enemy and take back territory for Jesus. Tell a friend and support Omega Man Radio. Hear the word of God Almighty from Numbers chapter 33, verse 50. And Yahweh spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying... Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their pictures, and destroy all their molten images, and quite pluck down all their high places. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land, and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. Declaring all out war on all witches, warlocks, and the hosts of hell. Our mandate is clear. We will not fail. Join with us in the fight and spread the word about Omega Man Radio. Our mission is to invade enemy territory and possess the land, healing the sick, and setting the captives free of demons in Jesus' name. Tune in each night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific at OmegaManRadio.com.